0: The following is brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network. Yo, 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 what up? This is Rocky Asuka Romero of Chaos, and you are listening to Keeping It Strong Style, the Ace of Podcasts.
1: on today's show, we'll discuss the legacy of Antonio Noki preview declaration of power, and cover all his news in the world of New Japan Pro Wrestling. You can support our show by subscribing and following Social Suplex Podcast Network or keeping a strong style on the podcast app of your choice and leaving a rating and review. You can also get all the podcasts over at socialsuplex.com. Check out our Pro Wrestling Tea store, prowrestlingtees.com. Slash Social Suplex, that's where you can get your official Keeping It Strong style t-shirt. If you enjoy this podcast, please consider making a one-time or monthly donation by visiting SocialSuplex.com slash donate. And clicking on the donate button under the Keeping It Strong style logo. This week's episode is brought to you by the NJPWEXT, the only browser extension for NJPWWorld.com. With features like dark mode, improved translations and layouts, custom and share playlists synchronized viewing parties, and much, much more. It takes NJPW world to the next level. You can visit NJPWEXT.us today for details. Young boy, we, we survived Hurricane Ian.
0: We did. Uh, we survived the hurricane and we're here uh, this week. And uh, it's a special episode because... While we do need to address everything that's going on in New Japan news and reviews and previews and blah, 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 uh, we this past week lost the founder of New Japan Pro Wrestling, Antonio Inoki. And um, we just recorded uh, our review and retrospective of his life with uh, Mike Sempervivi of Wrestling Observer and um, uh, Justin Nipper from fight game media and I'm feeling kind of um, a little bit sad, but also a little bit relieved because I feel like the audio that the audience is about to listen to is pretty tremendous. And I feel like we couldn't have asked for two better guests to come on and help break down an exhaustive subject like the life of Antonio Inoki, which I think we knew going into this year that he was in bad health and eventually this was going to happen.
1: Yeah. But I I wasn't ready for it. Yeah. Two weeks ago we were like, yeah, we're probably going to have to get ready for that. When that footage came out of him um, at that event with him in the wheelchair, we're like, yeah, we're probably going to have to get ready for this. And then lo and behold, yeah, he unfortunately passed away uh, this past weekend. And of course there's been tons of tribute shows and videos and articles all over the media world in and out of wrestling media. And like you mentioned, Two great guests for our old friend, uh, Mike Sempervivi and uh, Justin Nipper from Fight Game Media. Uh, We're going to throw that interview uh, here in a second. Yeah, I really enjoyed that. If you guys are, you know, new to Anoki, you don't really know much about Anoki. Obviously, you can do podcast series and series about his whole career in and out of the ring. But we did about an hour of a half kind of, you know, journey all throughout his career, his legacy, some of the the scandals that he was involved in. I think it's a great kind of entryway to really learn about uh, who Antonio Noki was. If you want a more
0: comprehensive, because this is not a comprehensive history lesson, although there's quite a bit of it in here. But if you'd like that, uh, Justin Nipper and Fumi Saito did a five part, about seven hours worth of audio series over on Fight Game Media. It's called Write This Down. They did this in, uh, I believe. Uh, January of this year or November of last year, one or the other, but it's uh, the history of Antonio Inoki and it's five parts. And that's from what I've been able to see online, probably the most exhaustive resource that's out there. There's also Chris Charlton's book, uh, Lions Pride, The History of New Japan Pro Wrestling, which is also a great resource. Um, and if you're an observer or subscriber, there is the 1996 g1 retrospective which serves as almost uh now there's some historical inaccuracies which you don't want to blame dave too much because again it's 1996 and the internet's not what it is today but so there are some discrepancies but for the most part that is one of the better pieces of article that are out there concerning the life of Anoki, and if you ask yourself well why is he writing about Anoki in 1996 if he's doing a g1 retrospective it's because the story of Anoki is the story of new japan especially up to that point point. and um one last thing i would I, well we did have a question from rich that we didn't address on the audio that maybe you and i can talk about here before we kick it over but um i i want to give my final thoughts on Anoki just very briefly um uh, I, I was really sad when I found out that Anoki passed and it's kind of weird because it's not like I was actively watching Antonio Anoki in his heyday or even alive during his prime. You know, by the time I was born in 88, he was winding down as an active wrestler and was kind of just a, a star attraction for the, the next 10 years. And I, you know, even though I had a peripheral, um, exposure and knowledge of him via, uh, you know, my brother and via uh, WCW and the the magazines, it's not like I really knew Anoki like that. But later in life, as I really started to delve into my New Japan fandom, um, as as like a a fan who loves his story, and you look at some of the famous, like folk hero names that are out there, like William Muldoon, and um uh, you know like um uh, i don't I, I don't know i'm blanking on names right now but some of some of the famous names like joe stecker and uh you know lutez and blah 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 going down through history there's all these guys that are very famous but you can't go and watch them there's not a lot of tape pre 70s on a lot of these famous historical figures but anoki kind of became this folk hero legend for me that i was able to go and, and watch and I know for a lot of modern fans, if you go and watch his style and his wrestling matches, it's not something that translates to the modern eye necessarily the same way that 70s Fujinami or like 90s Liger or 80s uh, Tiger Mask does. But something about his innovation and his connection with the crowd has always really resonated for me for some reason. And I've always it was funny i was talking to rich of one nation radio and he was like dude you've been preparing for this podcast your whole life and you <laughs> didn't know it and he's like since i've known you you've been talking about Enoki and i don't feel like i talk about Enoki that much but i guess i do you do <laughs> <laughs> and um like when i when i read that he died like i didn't outright cry but like i shed a couple tears and i'm not usually that emotional of an, a person especially when it comes to pro wrestling like that. But I I do think Antonio Noki someone that inspired me um as a fan, as a someone that is a trainee, as someone that's a uh you know, content creator. Uh and, you know, the fact that most of my primary consumption of wrestling revolves around New Japan Pro wrestling, for better or for worse, whatever his relationship was with them towards the end he was the father of this and he was the innovator of this. And um, you know, you can really trace a lot of his influence through Ricky Choshu and through the shoot style guys and through Fujinami through tiger mask. Like there's probably no trainee that he had. That's more influenced by Inoki than, um, you know, Sayama, which is interesting because a lot of people wouldn't look at Sayama and think he's like Inoki, but Inoki was this, innovator in his day that was doing things that were totally different than everyone else well that was ricky choshu and that was sayama and where do you think that they got that idea to change the philosophy and the psychology of their work and innovate it and push it to the forefront they got it from Anoki. and a lot of modern fans you know they they talk about baba and they talk about the king's Row, but they don't understand how influential Anoki really was and how a lot of the shit that they love really was genesis and birth from him and so i am very sad uh that he's passed and i am sad that uh the full reconciliation between him and new japan didn't take place although there were signs for better or for worse this past year that it looked like they were on that road to re- reconciliation but um you know our thoughts and uh prayers are with his friends and his family and uh, i just want to thank him
1: for Everything that he did and gave to us. Yeah, without there there is no New Japan Pro Wrestling, and there there might not be a Keeping It Strong style. So we definitely have to, um, you know, give thanks for that and and celebrate his legacy, the good and the bad. So right now we will throw to our discussion with uh, Mike and Justin, and then we'll be uh, back in a second. Thank you for listening to Keeping It Strong Style. Jeremy Donovan here with the young boy, Josh Smith. And we are joined uh, by two special guests to discuss Antonio Inoki. So we are joined by Justin M. Kipner from Fight Game Media and Mike Sempervivi from Wrestling Observer Live. And like I said, we're going to be talking about Antonio Inoki, founder of New Japan Pro Wrestling also one of the biggest stars in the history of Japan. He passed away uh, this past Saturday. Yahoo News uh, confirmed him passing away on Saturday morning. Age 79, we know that Inoki's been battling uh, health issues in the recent years. We've seen him confined to a wheelchair. I believe it was um, heart troubles kind of uh, related to what the the main health issue is and what caused his passing. And uh, we know that we could possibly do a Whole episode or whole series of episodes on the career of Anoki in wrestling, just his life out of wrestling, in politics, and just everything that he's been involved in. How his effect has affected in pop culture all over the world. But we're gonna try to kind of give a a comprehensive kind of overview of Anoki. Try to hit some different areas here. I'm talking about Anoki's, you know, legacy and what he meant to us and to. New Japan, pro wrestling, just I guess the wrestling industry in general. Um, so guys, I guess, first of all, let's let's talk about what, what made Inoki so special to you guys.
2: Justin, I don't know if you want to go ahead and go first.
3: I was actually muted. Sorry. Oh. <laughs> uh, hey, everyone. Thanks for having me. Yes, uh, Inoki is special. Inoki is special because, okay, a couple of different reasons, like his charisma, of course. He had natural athletic ability even from a young age that helped him create this antonio inoki character that not only everyone believed in but he really believed in it i think he believed in it the most i think no one at times felt as believable as inoki and i think that's one of the themes that really made him stand out i mean his whole mm. his whole uh, his path was based on trying to be number one in japan trying to be baba and the way to do that was to take all japan's more traditional orthodox nwa style pro wrestling and do something more real more believable and i think that what made him special is that he committed so hard to this this theory or concept of realism because you can't just say it's real or it's not there's a lot of gray he introduced a lot of gray into the industry and i mean also i mean he had the first mma match arguably <laughs> there's that there's that part of it too that's why he's special these he's a special part of japanese culture too. japanese pop culture uh especially from the show up period till now um i could keep going on and on but i want to hear what mike has to say about this as well
2: well no no greater self-promoter than antonio inoki and, you know with <laughs> With Don King, Bob Arum, Vince McMahon, all still alive, you know, losing Antonio Inoki. What you lose in him, not only is a great promoter, but as Justin was saying, he believed what he was, and he worked very hard to be the best Antonio Inoki that he could be. And he had to grow up in the shadow of Baba, and he wasn't that handpicked guy. He was one of the guys, right. but he wasn't the guy. And he worked really hard to get himself out of that shadow and to make something that was his. You know, he was the original ungovernable. You know, he wanted to be his own <laughs> champion. He wanted to tour the world. He wanted to be the guy and the power. And he turned himself into that by just just what Justin mentioned about doing a different style of pro wrestling that was not based on Bobby what Bobby Bruns brought over and Ricky Dozen started. He wanted it to be a a martial art and he went about basically putting himself on display. He was new Japan pro wrestling. He was the lion that would go out and go into different jungles and conquer all of them with the mindset of pro wrestling, be strongest. We are the strongest mixed martial art. And he had an unbelievable career and all of the ways that it, spider webs out and touches so many other different facets of of life whether it be politics and all of the things that go into that whether it be business ventures many failed many with money that was uh oh, it was not his that was not his at all yeah, absolutely and just like a great promoter you know he was amazing at spending other people's money for them and trying to make it work so it is a complicated complex. And pretty amazing legacy of someone that it's going to be really difficult for anyone to ever do what he was able to do in Japan coming in, you know, in the world of pro wrestling, in the realm of pro wrestling. It's almost impossible to to do it nowadays.
3: And yeah. Mike, you mentioned Don King. A, a moment ago and that made me think about that. I think the best way to think of Enoki, if you're not familiar with him is imagine a, a Don King or a Vince McMahon type promoter combined with a wrestler like Hulk Hogan, who had the uh, fan support, charisma, credibility and longevity and put those into the same person. And one yeah. guy, I, I can't, I really can't say that one person had that much, was it not influence, but also just? I mean, he was truly the total package for the wrestling industry, not just in Japan, but for the world.
2: No, and transcended that in Japan, absolutely transcended that. Where you look at Santo in Mexico, and I'm not an expert on Lucha Libre, but he is, he's otherworldly, and that's right. basically what Enoki is, you know, in some aspects. In Japan, he really is with having the real ability to shoot he had the real ability to back it up so it you know yes he had hogan's stardom to a certain degree but then you attach his ability to actually wrestle with that and to actually pull off double wrist locks on you know <laughs> uh you know boxers who may have wanted to get too spicy or or whatever it may be you know what i mean so it's like he actually you have to take a, a handful of people and mush them together to tr- even try to come up with what Inoki is. You know, he's very yeah. difficult to draw one-to-one to. Yeah.
0: That's, that's kind of been the thing is, as Inoki's past and I've been thinking more and more about what is a comparable comparison. And the reality is like you guys mentioned there, there really isn't a one-for-one. Um, I mean, in terms of like influence as a promoter and booker, I mean, obviously, you guys drew the parallel of baba and how he sort of always was an an eternal rival of his and started off in his shadow and that sort of thing but like in the west the closest thing we have is vince but vince didn't promote himself the way Vern did but you know enoki did and he was successful with that where when um you know when he fish, uh, uh, initially started off he didn't have the machine backing him he didn't have the nwa ties he didn't have uh, even TV to start off the way that Baba did. And yet still, he was still this kind of like punk rock outlaw group that found a way to pull the scraps together and to get Carl Gotch in and to get guys from, you know, different um, places around the world so that they could try and go up against what was kind of a monster. And initially, you know, and then eventually became like their rivals for several decades. And it was all through self-belief you know and it's the thing is watching his if you go back and you watch his matches it's not just self-belief but he was able to translate that to belief from the crowd that believability that you guys mentioned where i can think of very few people in my lifetime looking at tape i mean hulk hogan carlos cologne there's very few where maybe bob ackland they get the same kind of reactions from the crowds um through their performances and that lasted with him his whole career pretty much. I mean, even when he went into, you know, semi-retirement, even those big, uh, you know, um, Tokyo dome shows like the the response to an old broken down Anoki is still unbelievable. And then, you know, post, you know, retirement at, at the Bombay shows, like he was truly, truly a transcendent star. And I mean, who else can we think of that was a promoter and a wrestling star and a politician and a businessman and yada, yada, yada. Like, it's truly remarkable.
1: Yeah. I feel like you definitely have to combine some people. Like you guys are say, you got to combine a Hulk Hogan, a Vince McMahon, uh, the rock, a Arnold Schwarzenegger, like all these kind of different like personalities and people who kind of spread themselves. I think that really kind of all comes together, um, for Antonio Inoki. And, you know, we talk about what, you know, what makes him special and like, he just had that magnet, magnetic charisma about him. You know, you you look back and you watch some of his matches. A lot of them now up on New Japan World for free, and you just see the way the crowd is reacting to him. Oftentimes, it kind of feels like maybe he's like, like a cult leader. Um, he he's um, just has this whole crowd is just like ravenous and it's really into his matches, and the huge re- responses and reactions he got was just incredible. And you know,
2: what, what it, how did Pusha T say? Didn't reinvent a wheel, just a better design? And that's kind of what he did. You know, those crowd responses came from the fact that Japan wanted a hero. And that's what, you know, that's what originally what wrestling brought to them was the ability to fight the war again by defeating all of these outsiders that, that come through and we have our heroes and we can defeat these people. And with wrestling still being kayfabe, you know, a lot of people just didn't know any better and the expansion of TV and people falling out with heart attacks that Blassie caused because he was <laughs> biting somebody. And that, you know, kept going through a noki. And what he did was instead of you come to us, I'm going to take the fight to you no matter where I have to go. And no matter what the style is, yes, this is pro wrestling, but now I'm taking pro wrestling out and I'm going to individually pick off people, whether that be Roland Bach or this person or that person or Willie Williams or again, no no matter who you want to choose out of his fighting history, you know, that's why he was able to maintain that legacy and get those cheers and be that hero. And that's why it's impossible now to replace him because that led to mixed martial arts. It helped to lead to mixed martial arts. And now we know exactly. Look, look, you saw UFC one, you knew. And if you had any, if you'd ever been in a fight in your life, you knew what a kickboxer was going to do to a sumo with no lateral movement. You know what I mean? <laughs> but like, so now that we know all of that, how do you, again, how do you try to become that type of an noki figure? Again, it was what a right place, right time. And again, amazing. He was able to be able to get the responses he did. And he was able to ingratiate himself and endear himself to the Japanese people by defending their honor, by being again, a worked shoot fighter.
1: Yeah, and it's interesting that he became such this huge megastar. We just think from his origins and it's the beginning of his career. Seventeen year old um, found in Brazil by Ricky Dozan, and then you know goes to Ricky Dozan's JWA and kind of becomes his you know his second, his disciple, kind of the the guy that Ricky Dozan um, was kind of bringing up for for JWA.
3: Yeah, I think the. Big. So the story and really understanding Inoki from this point, Jeremy, that you brought up from uh, Riki Dozan, kind of picking him up in Brazil. He was a uh, like a track field shot put star, just like Okada was. He was 17. He had stuff going for him already. But the big difference between Riki Dozan's pupil Inoki and Riki Dozan's pupil Giant Baba, Giant Baba, he didn't have to make the same struggles Inoki you know, did. He didn't have to travel on a boat from uh, Japan to Brazil with like 11 of his family family members and work on a coffee field. Baba was he was a giant guy and he didn't even have to go to college because he was um he became a pitcher for the Yomiuri Giants. He was a, kind of a star athlete from the beginning. He was a spectacle in a lot of ways and some in Japan don't like when somebody just kind of fathered into the business and and put right on top, even though giant Baba is the giant and he was uh, promoted before Inoki was a big star. Baba was the star under Rikidozan. So Mm -hmm. I think that, um, that what's the word, that fieriness or that, um, sour grapes feeling that Inoki seemed to have felt for a long time, especially early on, uh, Based on his training, he didn't Baba didn't train with Carl Gotch. Baba didn't have the same kind of training. He was uh he was trained by NWA world champions. Yeah. And the way when you look at New Japan and All Japan, especially back then, you can imagine, especially from the Japanese fan perspective, think about all Japan at that time as almost like a FIFA, or like they're it's Japan's offering of the best pro wrestling in the world at the time so you're getting dory funk jr and jack briscoe you're getting the best of the best and you're kind of opening japan up to the rest of the world you're getting on the world stage whereas new japan kind of they were forced to create their own path create their own nwa world title with the iwgp idea and this also not only was the style of wrestling different I mean, that was a big part of it, too. All Japan, like I said, it was kind of, if you watch back, you're watching traditional, quote-unquote, perfect NWA-style matches, whereas if you watch Inoki's, um, um, what would they, they were called, uh, um, not mixed martial arts matches, they had like a mixed-style match. There was a, a term Different for it back style. then. Different style matches, yeah. Uh, what he was trying to do was he was trying to, again, insert some kind of realism or something that you would never see in all japan and i think this is also where he started introducing general martial arts into pro wrestling and that injected a special authentic japanese-ness to to the wrestling which all japan of course had to an extent but overall it was a, a worldwide pro wrestling offering whereas new japan was quote unquote strong style now there's no real thing as strong style it was right. inoki's way to market against baba it was try- him trying to say without saying this is real even yes. though it's not necessarily real but that's the difference and that was and he took that you know all the way
2: thank god for carl gotch <laughs> right <laughs> you know, being, the, being the the real key of that you know and being able to you know, really be the thing that helped establish Inoki, you know, in his, him being a real world champion in Japan, you know, and then coming over and obviously he bought the NWF belt and everything happened the way that it happened with Backlund and all that sort of stuff. But even though Inoki obviously wanted to have those trinkets because, you know, it was important to be recognized by somebody as a world champion, it's all that training that he did with Carl Gotch. And it's that, how that training ended up going on, and being worked you know there was no amarillo for guys in new japan to go to so they had to go to other places because the traditional pipelines at the nwa they weren't able to go with and that you know again that that draws you know enoki didn't have to go to tennessee you know or he had to go to tennessee he had to go to buffalo he had to go to kansas city and places like that whereas yeah you know baba didn't necessarily he really didn't have to do that You know, when he came over he came over he was <laughs> Basically pushed as a star right off the bat and didn't have to do some of the same things that other people did. And I'm sure that was another driving force behind Inoki as well, too. You know, it's the the Muda Muda and Chono thing. You know, Muda ended up going to, he went to Dallas. He went to Florida with Eddie Graham and Hiro Matsuda. He ends up in, in Charlotte. You know, meanwhile, Chono's in, you know, work in the Maritimes. He's in the death period of Central States and Kansas City and places like that. And it, you know, Vancouver, places like that, where it, again, it changes your outlook and it changes, you know, again, you don't want to be in those positions for too long. And Inoki did what he had to do and grinded through it. But, you know, I'm sure that that also, you know, played a part in his, you know, drive to want to to be better and excel and always trying to come from underneath to prove something. Cause that's what his whole career was about was just proving something.
3: But fighting. Yeah. It's all he's defined by the idea of fighting. Yeah. Whereas Baba was just, he was the King. He was kind of, you know, it's almost like he was born into it. So the dynamic of, um, you know, gentle King giant versus uh, uh, wily. uh, underling not underling peer i mean it, it's it's about credit and merit versus um being placed in a position this happened with jumbo suruda too later on jumbo was yeah. uh he was an olympic wrestler he was put in a position because he had kind of earned i don't want to say earned it but he he was there because of his athletic background and
0: fans interpreted that uh, all different kinds of ways yeah I mean, definitely, what you guys said. Uh, there's the distinct, you know, differentiation between these two, you know, figureheads and their brands, of pro wrestling, and the legacies that they they left behind. And because of their tag team, and because they both debuted on the same day, and they both stopped wrestling in 1998, they ran and you know were both promoters and started their companies in the same you know in the same year. There's this eternal rivalry between the two of them, and I mean, Baba didn't even live in the dojo when he first broke into the business you know he was already like you mentioned a star he almost kind of got in more to a greater extent but a similar booking to the way like young young shinsuke did as like a golden rookie or something comparable to like modern kurt angle you know he came in with the, the accolades and everything like that and he's wrestling world champions and working main events across the country uh you know within one to two years of breaking into the business and he's already on excursion and Anoki is you know uh kind of treated like the more traditional young boy where he's you know staying on the undercard for a long time and by the time that both of them are you know main eventing in JWA at the same time he is up here but he's just slightly underneath Baba um they had the famous tag team together from what 68 to like or maybe like 67 to 71. Yep. Um, B
3: I platoon. Right. And Baba
0: Inoki Platoon. And, and, and I and think Eno- that's
3: where he got that, that that number two feeling from a, a lot as well, because they were a huge super team at the at the time under Rick Dozan.
0: Right. But he's always the face in peril. He's always, mm. I mean, they didn't lose very often, but if they did, it's gonna be Inoki taking the pin. And Baba's the the top guy. He's the guy that gets the hot tag and comes in and saves the day. And he's he's the big star and when they break off who's the one that gets the nwa you know recognition who's the one that gets the nippon tv deal it's all baba he's the one that has the machine behind him from day one going all the way back to you know their inception in the business and anoki's the guy that had to really strive and bet on himself time and time again even when he uh was supposed to come back from excursion he went and formed tokyo pro um What was that like 66
3: and the original yeah with yeah yeah, yeah.
1: 1966
0: yeah and you know uh, that didn't work out for him but in in the long run that probably was beneficial because when he came back that started him being somewhat you know pushed as a main event commodity in jwa but you know all along like you mentioned it always was baba the you know king who was trained by all these like NWA champions. And then you've got Anoki, who's trained in the Lancashire style under Carl Gotch who has to scrap and crawl and fight his way to the top. And they're just two totally different paths. And it really formed their uh, legacy and their philosophies as bookers and wrestlers and promoters.
2: Yeah. With 2020 hindsight, you know how (laughs) it, it was, it was all in those cards written way back when he formed Tokyo pro, you know, to be honest, I mean, him being a rebel, you know, and having rebel spirit, him wanting to break out him looking at that and then having to go back tail between the legs before he's finally (laughs) forced out of there again. And, you know, Baba leaves and forms all Japan. He leaves and forms new Japan is working from a, you know, is working from underneath in that. And, but still, I mean, how could it have gone any other way? You know, it was just in the cards for that. And as, you know, as you guys... Almost like Destiny. Yeah. Yeah. You know, how we've talked about here, how, again, somebody, there was the one gilded guy, and then there was the, you know, again, the warrior, you know, out there in the, you know, out there in the cold in the fight and Baba inside. And yeah, I mean, it it really does typify and, and really prove what those guys are and how we look back at their legacies. I mean, that's pretty much what they are. And Enoki, I don't think Enoki gets enough credit as far as, you know, becoming a Muslim and having that impact that that's able to have. Look, Muhammad Ali is the most famous person, I think, to walk the face of the earth, at least in my lifetime. Muhammad Ali could walk anywhere and be safe be quote-unquote safe almost anywhere he could walk into pakistan afghanistan iraq iran and be fine he can walk around obviously north america wherever he wanted to go and be fine because he was muhammad ali antonio Noki didn't necessarily have it to that level but you were able to see what he was able to do and look the whole thing with iraq and the kids as human shields and were those people going to be released anyway and all opens up a whole new can of worms when it comes to Nogi and his politics, but it took a set of balls to go do that, knowing you were going to be censured by your government, knowing that this was going to be bucking and doing, you know, he was able to go in there the same way he was able to talk and go into Pakistan because of the fight that he had with Pelwan and all that talk to people in Afghanistan, even if it was only at the most, you know, press and, and the most, you know, topical, you know, the, easiest level to you know cut through sorry it's been a long day here but you know even if it was just for for press reasons and promotional reasons he still had the ability to do that and that's again that's probably something that won't be talked about too much but i think that actually matters you know and i think it matters somewhat with how he's viewed by a significant portion of the world that we don't really bring up or talk about when it comes to professional wrestling at all
1: yeah, that's a great point, just talking about, yeah, his impact in that community and just worldwide, that kind of global appeal that he had. And you, you see that by all the different media outlets across the world that have been, you know, reporting and, you know, covering his his life and death. And you know we talk a lot about him betting on himself and, you know, leaving JWA, starting New Japan Pro Wrestling in 1972 and kind of betting on himself to start this new promotion uh, kind of built around him, built on his back, which kind of led into this really hot era uh, of wrestling in Japan, and especially during this kind of prime era of Anoki uh, from '72 to '88. And we kind of saw his kind of booking style unfold during that period. Where you know, maybe to you know more modern fans, you can could compare it to kind of like the the, the Hulk Hogan model, where you're bringing in these big monsters to come into a territory, and you you have to have this hero that's going to take the monsters down. We we see guys like Vader and Bam Bam Bigelow and Stan Hansen and Andre the Giant, and just all these just massive uh foreign talents kind of coming in and being you know the main kind of flaw, main enemy to Inoki, and him having to. You know, vanquish all these kind of evil foreign monsters and be this hero um, that Japan wanted. So, just kind of curious, what are your guys' thoughts on some of the the key guys that Inoki faced during that kind of prime era from seventy two to eighty
3: eight? No, Jeremy, I'm happy that you brought up Hulk Hogan because I think understanding Inoki, especially at the time we're talking about now, right when New Japan got started, you know, he had to build programs for himself. Now, the whole the what you explained about the hulk hogan uh the booking style where basically hogan was crushing monsters until warrior and then you know it it got a little different but generally hogan was gonna slay the dragon every month i believe that this whole template was absorbed by what enoki was doing because what all japan had going on they had that what they were offering they were offering the best of the best in the world to a Japanese audience. If you want to learn about and watch pro wrestling, you're going to get the best stars from all over. You're going to get Giant Baba, but you're also going to get the NWA world champion. You're going to have Bruiser Brody, Hanson and such. New Japan had to create their own mythos and they, uh, they needed a star. It was Inoki and he needed a rogues gallery. And it started with the different style matches where he would slay these beasts from outside of pro wrestling like judo and kickboxing uh, you had a fight with chuck Weppner and he had matches with andre the giant it was kind of you know anything goes it was almost like uh ultraman right he, it was he was the hero clearly he was the main character in the new japan story and uh i think that whole concept is how Hulk Hogan and Hulkamania got started. Honestly, I think Hulkamania got started in Japan with Inoki. I mean, I think Hogan was really a massive star. He was teaming with Inoki at a time. There was even talk of him going to all Japan. He was so hot. Terry Funk wanted him to, you know, come over. There was a lot of like uh, Brody jumped to new Japan in 85 and uh, Stan on the second time he went to all Japan. So, there was a lot of there was a lot of uh tension in the air it was very competitive hogan chose to stay with new japan and learned how to become a superstar from antonio inoki even down to hulking up i think when you think of hulking up i think that's inoki's i think inoki invented the hulking up when when he's uh you know taking lots His of fire fire up. strikes he's firing up he's 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 saying come on come on he's he, with his two hands he always does this especially in uh, the more uh monstrous battles like he had with stan hansen and andre the giant and strong kobayashi the very bloody one with strong kobayashi and rusher kimura and hiro matsuda i mean every month it seemed like he was taking out a monster which helped people believe
0: yeah and i it, think oh I i'm sorry th- I think the the whole thing with hogan i think part of it's an i think it's also mixed in a little bit with the jerry lawler stuff that he saw in memphis in his early genesis but there's there's no superstar
3: graham and and of course all of his his own influences and dusty but i think that hulkamania that that uh that friction i think it really there was a spark in japan that carried over into wwf
0: there's no denying that like His early formation, um, working and headlining and tagging with Inoki was crucial to Hulk Hogan. Obviously, that could be a whole (laughs) podcast in and of its own self. But um, yeah, I mean, I definitely think, uh, as far as this whole period with Inoki and the way that they modeled their business around him, I mean, the closest thing that we've seen to in modern times, if you really think about, especially in the West, how many guys have. Been at the tip top of a run for as long as Inoki was. I mean, the the most comparable thing we can probably point to is maybe John Cena, and I don't think John Cena ever was sub. You know, from from a sustained per uh percent of or perception. You know, the main event, the top guy for the I mean, whole sheik, years. Yeah, maybe sheik, sheik
3: Bobo. I mean, that's different setting, and it's a little before Inoki. But I mean, right? God, how do you? do 12,000 a week. Bruno for years. Bruno as well, yeah.
0: But there's there's very few people that um a company a major national company like that have been centered around that has stayed hot throughout the long prolonged life of his run and that's kind of what Anoki was. And I mean, I've watched a lot of that stuff from that period and I mean um uh, you know a lot of it it's the mixed style fights, the different style fights, but it's also him bringing in you know um respected outsiders like jack briscoe and billy robinson and you know um obviously like the shooters like willem ruska and uh, the the shoot fight with ali and then later on he had the prolonged feuds with like brody and you know the iwe guys and then uwf and so on and so forth and they kind of just always found a way to keep the company you know um centered around Anoki, The story of New Japan is the story of Anoki, And I mean, even in like 83, when they had the embezzlement um, scandal and it looked like he was going to be ousted from power and he was going to have to leave New Japan, T.B. Asai basically told New Japan, like if he's gone, they they pulled a Brock Lesnar and said, if he's gone, we're gone. (laughs) And uh, they, they had to keep him on. And, you know, so there's always that criticism, like he didn't put over Fujinami and Maeda and Choshu enough. And there's probably some truth to that but he was still the top star to such an extent that they kind of
2: couldn't afford to not have him on top for better or for worse. And that's very empowering. That's a very <laughs> empowering thing to have happen too. And, you know, he can get you to continue to do things that may not necessarily be the right thing to do, but right. Hey, you know, you figure you got a little bit of fallback <laughs> and unfortunately that ended up being the case kind of up until the end when it came to him trying to push an Anokiism and him, selling the company to Ukes because other people were trying to take it over. Well, no, no they, they were trying to take it over because it's not making any money. It's about to go bankrupt, and you've kind of helped run it into the ground. And Unfortunately, that's the way that it went. But it lasted for a long time, not only because of all these mixed styles that we're talking about, but because of you know matches against Tiger Jeet Singh. You know, that was a very important one for him. You know, that was his wild feud that he had in in between all of these mixed martial arts affairs. We were having just the psychopath wanting to come over with a saber in his mouth and he wants to kill you. (laughs) You know, forget about judo. This guy's got a saber. And so, you know, the feud against Tiger Jeet Singh, he was able to garner so much positive press because of the affiliation with the WWF, the WWF yeah. at the time, because he was able to get Superstar Graham and Bob Backlund and Dusty Rhodes and Stan Hansen and guys like this as part of those MSG tours and all that, which, again, with all of the magazines being based out of New York, they were very partial to showing a lot of that stuff. And Antonio, Antonio Noki had, again, not only because of Ali, when you obviously looked past Ali, when you just looked at the wrestling magazines and things like that he was able to get great attention. I mean, look, some of the secondary magazines that aren't as popular when you look back at the 70s, a lot of them covered Pedro Martinez heavily and covered Johnny Powers, and you see a lot of uh, Ernie Ladd stuff from that time, Ox Baker and Antonio Inoki being one of those guys who, of course, obviously usurped that belt, took it, and then became the – Again, it became several things. I know it was the NWF belt for a while. I think he merged it as a part of his WWWF mixed martial arts title or the the great 18 title or whatever it was called. But, you know, so, you know, it was also the, you know, sometimes you forget about the what you can consider more pro wrestling type of things, you know, obviously Masa Saedo, the, the, the island match is a, a great <laughs> example of uh, of the fight really being, you know, you know, pro wrestling snow globe being all sh- shaken up. So, yeah. you know, kind of what have been forgotten about with all this great talk about A No kids, just some of the pro wrestling stuff, including right down to like Hulk Hogan making Hulk Hogan have for years we saw the pictures of Hulk Hogan, especially because the WWF ended up, you know, kicking out a lot of, of other photographers, but the the kanji symbol on his trunks and him standing there with the trophy and the flowers after he yeah. won the IWGP tournament and that whole thing. Look, Inoki's dead. We can never trust a thing that comes out of Hogan's mouth. <laughs> Was Inoki really knocked out? I would say no, but who knows anymore? Nobody and knows. That's, <laughs> another, that's another great piece of this whole you know, wrestling lore that Enoki leaves.
4: And
3: yeah, whole... they brought an ambulance to the venue that night too, at the <laughs> yeah. 83. I did, yeah, it was in the newspapers, like Hogan just somehow destroyed Enoki. And at the time, like we were talking earlier, he he often wouldn't lose. So when he lost, it really did make waves.
1: Yeah, and of yeah course, and it, the, the whole infamous pro, um, promo of Hogan, you know, calling the wwf title a toy and a trinket and you know the, the iwgp title you know it's, it's the real title the real prize that he's going after yeah he's probably
3: <laughs> upset that the internet exists now <laughs> but you uh, know, about the i wanted to touch quickly on the the embezzlement situation that, that happened it was like 82 83 84 ish mm. so th- this isn't completely confirmed but the story that i've read about and been told is that the whole uwf idea was kind of this exit strategy by inoki and hisashi shinma who who was like the the kayfabe uh, president of wwf at the time and he was the financial big head honcho over at new japan at the time to avoid this situation and avoid any uh, legal trouble uwf was going to form and and be introduced within New Japan and become its own company. Although it says a little bit about Inoki's character too. Inoki did a, a double swerve and stayed with New Japan. And Shinma went on to form UWF with Satoru sayama And that it, it led its own path. But it, it you can see like when we talk about Inoki as a businessman, a promoter, and you want to compare him with giant Baba, that is where they differ very much. And I would say that Baba had a lot more total success as a promoter than Inoki, And we should probably talk about some of Enoki's um, mishaps, bloopers, I guess, uh, you know, almost running New Japan into the ground completely. And a lot of fans also believed he turned his back on pro wrestling in the late 90s. So, yeah. I mean, it's not all peaches and cream. He's no, a complex absolutely.
0: guy. It's a very complex subject. And I mean, the thing with Enoki is like a lot of the things that brought him, just like Vince McMahon, a lot of the things that brought him success early on in his career were the same things that he was trying to do later on that resulted in failure and disgrace and and, you know, uh, ultimately were a detriment to the business. And some of that was the alignment with the shoot style stuff and the MMA and the pushing of those guys. and obviously the Enokiism. And it's a double-edged sword because he is sort of the godfather of MMA. If you look at the genesis of UWF and PWFG and Shuto and Pancrase and Pride and Rings and all these different companies, they're all led by Anoki disciples. They all have a direct tie to his philosophies and style of booking. Um, But at the same time, they were the same things that he thought I don't think Anoki thought that he was turning his back on wrestling. He thought that wrestling was evolving and was trying to stay true to his philosophy, but ultimately it was to the detriment of new Japan. But like I mentioned before, I see new Japan as being the story of Anoki up to a certain point. And I think for Anoki that was always the case. He saw himself as being bigger than the brand itself. And that whole thing with the UWF, I mean, I've heard two stories about it. I've heard that there was, uh, an attempt on his part to potentially have two revenue streams from tv fuji and tv acai and create the illusion that there was two different brands while right. he, he was secretly getting the money from both of them i've also heard that it was an exit strategy because he was going to be ousted from the company And the reality is no one seems to know the truth behind all of this i've heard different deferring accounts from very credible sources and it's kind of one of those things it, it's the legacy of enoki but if you look at his track record his history you look at igf and ufo he's done things like this later on as well that kind of align with uh, some of the reports and maybe there's a little bit of truth in both of them
2: yeah, but, little, um, yeah little column a little column b i mean look at that Concept was not foreign to him, considering that Baba and Inoki were stars on two different TV channels working for the same company. You know, for all intents and purposes, that's exactly how they became bigger stars. And with Inoki, you know, back to the businessman thing. Yeah, Baba was a much better businessman because Baba was running a professional wrestling promotion. He was in the pro wrestling business. Inoki was in the Inoki business, mm-hmm. and it's how you looked at your products he was the lightning rod he was the north pole that everything circled around so Nokia isn't be strong this is this is what we're selling here folks you know this is what we're doing whereas baba you know more along the lines of a again of a more natural pro wrestling promoter who did push himself further down the card knew when it was over you know delegated in different ways you know used his wife as a buffer all of the all of the intelligent things. I mean, I don't think there's any question when it came to quote unquote running a pro wrestling promotion. Absolutely. You know, I would, I, to me, Baba did it much, much better. Yeah. With that said, you know, obviously, and Baba you know, was like a the, Japanese out.
3: version of like a Sam Muchnick. He took that old school style and a lot of integrity he had. I mean, yeah. that was a big part of what defined his booking style. And like Mike said, he, he, did it the right way. And he took himself out of the main event picture. He slowly, phased himself out and, and he didn't mind uh, being in a fun opener with a a six man opener in the nineties. You know, he had a different idea of what pro wrestling should be. I think it's more like not what wrestling is or isn't. It's someone's idea of what it should be versus someone else's. And they obviously had two very different ideas. And when
2: you back to a little bit of what you said earlier on, too, about I, I think a no thought pro wrestling turned its back on him because, in his, I mean, you got to be a little bit of a sociopath. And I think to him, you know, these guys are weak now and they do really need to be spirit slapped. Like, what the hell happened here? Like, I'm a wrestler, I could have taken Miracle. Like, whoa, like, hold on now. You know, a lot of you know, and, and yeah, he may have lost one of the Pelwan fight, whatever, but like that. You know, to him, I think, in his mind, like wrest like again, like you see with a lot, of, all of us can bring up an older wrestler or personality today that believes that pro wrestling has turned its back on them as opposed to the business evolving and right. things mm-hmm. moving forward and progressing, whether you like it or not. So I think it really with Noki, I mean, up until the day that he died, I mean, obviously, straight through two thousand and five, through the mess with new Japan and the IGF and the split of the IWGP ties, all that stuff. Like, like he really thought to me that wrestling turned its back on him and that's what it was never supposed to be, but that's the way it is.
0: Yeah. And I mean, even as a promoter and a booker, looking at the difference between um, him and Baba, like you guys mentioned, Baba ran it more old school. Very often, if you look at, uh, in 2022, we've seen like rundown cheats of how the wrestlers were supposed to behave. Like Baba had a reputation for concealing and, um, you know, stopping any sort of scandal from coming out. Whereas like Anoki himself was very often the actual source of the scandals <laughs> yeah. in his company. And it was two totally different philosophies and ways of like running the business, Uh, even as like recent as a month ago they put out the press release that igf was coming back you know unfortunately <laughs> i nobody knows if that's going to happen now but like this is a guy who like had enough belief to think like i'm still going to do mma i'm still going to do wrestling and like and he was like really in bad health obviously and he still had more that he wanted to do uh in the industry so um i i definitely think like the difference in their booking philosophies is like you guys match baba was running wrestling and Inoki was doing Inoki. Like that was his like X factor. And you look at the difference between like how he maneuvered Choshu and Fujinami versus the way that like Baba maneuvered Jumbo and Tenru and then like the, you know, the four pillars, totally different things altogether. you know?
1: Yeah. And with Inoki kind of focus on kind of Inoki and this, strong style that like we've been talking about and this kind of this this need to make you know New Japan and wrestlers presented on the same level as these MMA fighters that kind of bursts into what you know modern fans call Anokeyism and, and we're getting an influx of these MMA fighters um, into New Japan. Of course Anoki he, he finishes off his um his final countdown retirement tour, which lasted from like ninety four to ninety eight. His last match was against uh, Don Fry, um big MMA fighter um, during that time. And then uh, from there, we're, we're seeing him continue to kind of bring in these MMA stars as MMA is kind of exploding worldwide and Japanese. And Enoki is seeing that and really wants to, again, kind of evolve with that and kind of show that his wrestlers can kind of hang with these MMA fighters. And that's what we're bringing in these guys and having these kind of work shoot fights and shoot fights and all this kind of controversy happening with this Enokiism style.
2: Also, we got to factor
3: in when all this stuff was happening, and I guess we're talking like mid to late 90s into like early 2000s. The whole idea, like the word or concept MMA, wasn't really even coined until like late 90s. And uh, our all of us I don't know how old you guys are, but I remember in general, no one really knew what a fight should look like just yet. We kind of did, but you know, we're all MMA literate now, UFC literate. We kind of, we know what things are supposed to look like. We know how matches end and start. Back then, there was still that sense of, well, Inoki did the real training and he went through uh, Carl Gotcha's real catch system. And hypothetically, guys like Yuji Nagata should, in theory, be able to beat anybody like Fedor or Krokop. Looking back, that's <laughs> very, very silly thinking. But we didn't know at the time. And especially we didn't know uh or Fedor would become who they were too. So it also has to, looking back like in 2022 and watching Inoki and watching um, not just him throughout his career, but that era of not just uh, New Japan, but also like Pride was pro wrestling at the time that was what was drawing and k1 was as popular probably more popular at the time i mean the 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 mainstream fan base did shift a bit somehow and inoki sided with that side of japanese pro wrestling whereas you know then we get into the dark ages of wrestling where companies like all japan and new japan pro wrestling noah started but they didn't have it wasn't like the 90s it was a, a different period. And, and if you didn't have that, quote, Enochism involved in your, your wrestling style, it was kind of looked at as like passe. It's kind of like glam metal in the 90s. People were <laughs> too afraid to like it because grunge was so popular. It had to kind of make a comeback later. But that's what it seemed like the feeling. And he really had this, the, the realism obsession. I, I, I mean, I think he might have hurt some careers with that, too.
2: Yeah, oh, he he... yeah, <laughs> you know, and, and look, boxing, boxing was always the martial art here in America. It's the one thing that we were able to understand wrestling to a little bit of a different degree, amateur wrestling. But it was boxing for a short time. It was karate for a short time. It was this or that. But we knew boxing, whereas in Japan, there was sumo, there was judo, there was karate. There was a, a opening of different styles. And, you know, Obviously, you know they were more apt as a culture and a mainstream to take to that, and they did. And Japanese wrestling couldn't keep up. And K1 was for sure more popular than than what anything that you know, the pro wrestling was doing. I mean, remember Anoki coming into that Dynamite Stadium, the K1 Pride mm-hmm. Show together, and he's parachuting in in front of ninety thousand people and all that stuff. And you know, Justin's right. in In their mind at the time. They thought Nagata could take Krokop. They thought Yasuda could take LeBanner. And I still don't believe for a second that that LeBanner Yasuda fight was legit, but let's say that it was, okay? It was let's legit, say, Mike. You don't know. I know, I know. <laughs> but let's, let's say that it was. I mean, that's exactly what they thought was going to happen with Nagata. Crow Cop is, yeah, he looks good, but he's a little blown up, and he's a one-dimensional kickboxer well we didn't realize he could throw from any angle but that should have been the wake-up call right there and it was a look eugene got his career because of how probably people like me that were big fans of him that kept his flame you know uh, going for so long and his longevity and the fact that he was a great pro wrestler i mean he was mr Deadstock, he was dead in the water and it was looking like Shinsuke Nakamura could end up having the same type of career of being a guy that was dead in the water and having a career that didn't even start before the damn thing ended. And that yeah. unfortunately is what a lot of people are going to talk about. Cause it's, you know, the thing that's the closest to them. But what Justin's saying is absolute facts in that. Yeah. They should have done better matchmaking and known better, especially in hindsight, but we yeah. have the benefit of hindsight. And no one knew that Merko was going to be, as deceptive as he was and as much of a, a wrestler killer as he was up until the time he fought Randleman. Yeah, it's it's going to age me a little bit,
0: but when I was young, I remember reading your article, Mike, scathing uh, review of, you know, inoki at the time and him booking um, Shinsuke to have an MMA fight just days before he's supposed to have the unification fight in the dome and everything like that. So It's kind of funny. I um... found that
2: article again, and I am so embarrassed on so many levels for (laughs) it. A lot of it I stand behind, but boy, in hindsight, number one, I was a terrible writer. I'm still a terrible writer. You were angry. (laughs) That that was the whole thing. That was truly something written out of emotion, because I was a big Eugene Nagata fan. See, I'm one of the rare people. I didn't collect tapes or anything like that for the most part. I didn't look at newsletters. I was a newsstand person, and as much as I loved wrestling— you know, I didn't I, I just I didn't have the money to tape trade, even if I wanted to anyway. So that was a different world. I didn't come up with all Japan, I started seeing New Japan tapes because there was a guy that actually had New Japan VHS tapes. So I started watching that. Then their connection with NWA and WCW. I just I was always that guy. So Yuji Nagata, I was a big fan of his. You know big fan playing the game with him, you know, always a TV champion with Eugene Nagata in the short time that he was around. You know, I was I liked him and I started following his career and watching him get built up and then seeing that because again, I evolved a lot coming from a boxing and wrestling background. My what I thought about mixed martial arts changed dramatically. Talking to Pat Militich will do that to you, <laughs> you know, but like It changed. I remember seeing the first UFC and seeing those fights and going, this is insane. This is unfair. These are, you know, it's a weighted work. You know, these are real fights technically, but it is weighted way to one side over the other. And, and, you know, that's the first tournament. Yeah. So like by the time they did Nagata and Cop, I was just I was cringing. And it just was like, why are they doing? And then it happened, and I was apoplectic. And then they did it all over again with Nakamura, who obviously I was a fan of his. Looking at these new three Musketeers that they yeah. have of Shibata, Nakamura, and Tanahashi, and then you got Utakayoshi. You got you had a bunch of guys yeah. that, man, okay, this the core seems like it's going to rebuild itself and be good. And then that happens with Nakamura. They book him. How they book him with Takayama it was just it was no bueno for me man and yeah i wrote that one out of out of anger and spite and i might revisit it again because boy it needs some annotations now
0: so my my older brother was a pretty uh dedicated martial artist in the late 80s early 90s and you know we talk about pro wrestling tape trading well there actually was a thing that a lot of people don't know about where you could take trade martial arts videos through like black belt yeah. magazine and different yeah. uh, publications back then and so my my first like um exposures to pro were not like the way how other people watched like super j cup or like iwa mine were like shoot style stuff that we didn't know if it was real or not and that's how i first saw inoki because they would send over like the different style fights and like the uwf stuff along with Chuck Norris videos and uh, along with like Hicks and Gracie fights and Bally Tudo stuff from like the fifties. And there were collections of people that used to trade that stuff. And, um, that's like where I, I first saw like the legend of Anoki and probably why I'm so maybe heartbroken that he's passed and everything like that, but his, um, like you mentioned earlier, like the cobwebs of his connection to the MMA world are so vast. I mean, um, going back to the Ali fight, and then the different style fights, and everything like that. I think that obviously with like the shoot style, and then like Sayama with the Shuto stuff, and Pancrase. That the, we're talking about all people that were Anoki disciples starting, you know, mixed style fighting and no holds barred in Japan. But the one thing that was different from what they did versus what Anoki did was the spectacle and that really didn't come into play until like uwfi but to a greater extent like pride where a lot of those guys they had real fighting or quote unquote something that resembled real fighting and but they didn't have the spectacle and that's what enoki had in his heyday where like he was they were almost like freak show fights which and it's funny because wrestling is so cyclical if you go beyond enoki and you go back to the 20s and the 1800s and Everything that's old becomes new again, and it it comes in waves. That's how wrestling is when it comes to real fighting, and that works, and blah blah blah. And that's what Anoki was. He was making something that was old new again, like it's very much carney esque, and that has always appealed in Japan. When you see like, you know, Hoist Gracie fighting like uh, like Yokozunas and stuff like that, that's the sort of stuff that like Anoki um, did, and then parlaying that into his post career and with ufo and with ifg and his connection to pride and k1 and even like the la dojo and him training like real fighters like you know brock lesnar and um leota machida like Anoki has always because of his sports icon status been somewhat involved in the mma community especially in japan for years and years and years i mean even the anoki bombay events on january 1st for like 5 years they were competing with pride and k1 and and all these other different like groups as being like premier events that people sat down and watched for 5 or 6 hours on you know january 1st so uh it, it's quite a legacy and i mean when you talk about the godfathers of mma i mean people point to bruce lee they point to hoist gracie Anoki has to be one of those people that you point to that's like his influence and his innovations when it comes to what eventually became known as mma and even beyond that mma's infusion into pro wrestling whether it be kick pads or tapping out or realistic submissions these were things that didn't necessarily have a um you know international influence prior to Anoki's you know um you know how he influenced his trainees
3: i think the what from enoki's point of view i mean it's definitely like if we're talking about it from an analytical analytical perspective and we're trying to say like if yeah enoki could definitely be viewed as a, a very important martial artist type especially in the modern era but if you were to ask enoki i don't know this but i would think In most of his interviews, he always, always, always referred to himself as a pro wrestler, regardless Mm. of what what the setting or anything. He always stuck to that. What I do is wrestling. It's not martial arts. It's pro wrestling. I mean, if you wanted to include it in the martial arts, that was his idea he was trying to convey. This style of fighting, what I do, is the best, and it's wrestling. So it's just kind of... The way you think about it nothing really changes just the perspective and he had a very specific perspective on what he thought pro wrestling was and consisted of
2: right and he knew how to promote himself which is there's a reason that there are there's lots of great fighters in this world and great martial artists of different disciplines but they just don't have it they don't connect for whatever reason they're just not that guy until maybe they'll find an opponent that they get a great dance partner that they can create a legacy with. But a lot of times you just go down and it's like, man, that guy was really good. But then you're looking at, you know, that Bob Sapp, Antonio Rodrigo, Noguero fight, or you're looking at, you know, one of those freak show fights. Anything with won. Bob Sapp. Yeah, you know, anything that K1 and Pride put on because, yeah, there were the – great undercard guys but like you sold it on the big knockout you sold it on the big freak you sold it on whatever it was and i was always in fear somebody was gonna die how somebody <laughs> never did i don't know you know especially on those inoki shows. that was another crazy part of those inoki shows late where he's like they're losing to the nhk red and white festival Meanwhile, you got a new Japan wrestler that's on the other guy's show, K1 or Pride show, and they're losing. It just the whole thing was it so wacky. So crazy. <laughs> but you know, he, you know, he more than anybody else over there did really understand that, like, and it because I think because of loving the real sports and coming from those disciplines where, I mean, why do we watch two people fight? It's either for money. It's for a personal issue or it's for quote-unquote sport. Like, that's it. So, like, no matter if it's kickboxing, wrestling, judo, taekwondo, amateur, no matter what it is, when it's two half-naked people on a canvas mat, <laughs> like, that's it. Like, they're only do- – that. that's it. So you have to promote – all these things are promoted the same. You know, that's why if you look at the history of any, you know, film – or cable or pay per view or streaming, it fights always lead the way, wrestling always leads the way. It's just that's the way it goes. And to, the, to me, they're all sports that are promoted in for the for all intents and purposes the exact same way. And Enoki Enoki understood that he couldn't harness it, he wanted to harness it, but the horse had grown too big, you know, it was way too big of a Bucking Bronco from the thing that he was trying to promote to everybody when he was facing Ruska, when he was facing Ali, when he was facing this person or that person or wanting to bring in the Russian wrestlers like he did in the early 90s with New Japan and bringing in those guys like, you know, he had the great idea. It's just he didn't have just enough of the foresight to look ahead to go, you know, this isn't about wrestling, pro wrestling anymore. This is now about like actually not worrying about me working this this is about guys like not working anymore and just again this is where justin's right you know he he did feel himself to be a pro wrestler because there was not that next step for him to take and you know as times evolved and moved on you know it was easy for people to question him what what could have noki done against a miracle against a you know, this person or that person, you know, and for him to kind of step back a little bit from that and go, well, you know, I was always a pro wrestler first and, and our rules be strongest. And I would try, I always said the right things, you know, in that way. Absolutely. Always did.
3: Yeah. And I, Mike, I think what you're talking about with like you know, the difference between the performers who stick in our minds and the ones who, especially when it comes to MMA, they're just they're simply good, but you have trouble uh, talking about anything else. I think okay, maybe the word or phrase "professional wrestling" isn't the right phrase for whatever it's become today. But the big difference here, what defines enoki and others in MMA and pro wrestling from talent who just doesn't stick with it, is that idea of professional—that they, they're not just in the ring. the 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 story doesn't end in the ring they're like enoki 24 7 they're trying to bring not only a fight to the uh, audience they're there to entertain and to draw and well, you have to be a, a different kind of professional you have to consider everything outside of the ring too and i think pro wrestlers seem to understand that better than athletes in that athletes generally have to Focus on their sport. I mean, then it becomes a little bit of a different conversation, but that idea of professionalism, no matter what the setting, defines Inoki and defines others like him.
0: Well, look at the difference between two of Japan's greatest fighters, especially on the international stage. You got Yushin Okami, someone who's a great sportsman, a great fighter, but very few people probably remember or even know about. And then you've got like Sakuraba was mm. a promoter, a character, he told stories, a pro wrestler, entertainer. A pro wrestler. A pro wrestler. he
3: still he still considers himself primarily a pro wrestler. And
0: yeah, it's right? interesting how he uh is sort of from that same lineage but considers himself more of a pro wrestler than many of the guys that came before him who came from Anoki and he's much more in line with that Anoki philosophy. Than, yeah, he's more say, of a Billy
3: Robinson descendant, yeah. a disciple like Barnett and Jake Shannon. Yep.
2: Absolutely. God, you talk yep. about those tape tradings that would go on. You the person that you would find not mess with in the gym is if the subject of professional wrestling came up and they brought up one of those names like Boss Rudin. like you know, mm-hmm. who I uh, like Boss. I'm not messing with you. You obviously <laughs> know more than <laughs> that i'm willing to deal with right now but you know yeah i mean are you in the sports business or are you in the sports entertainment business are you in the sports business you know or are you just in the sports business you know that i love sport this is what i do this is who i am you know it's when who was the uh wec was it mike brown who knocked out was it pulver or faber you know ended
0: your eye favor
2: yeah and it was like you know man this guy's so good but, but he couldn't
0: capitalize
2: on it. <laughs> exactly. And he didn't have any shine. He didn't have any of that sort of stuff. So, you know, again, this is why, even though it drives some other more technical people nuts, it's why the people like Arturo Gotti, why the Kazushi Sakurabas of the world, why those types of guys will, you know, end up and go down in history and are remembered more, you know, than just the person who was. I mean, that's what I remember with Hideki uh, uh, Yoshida was one of the things with him was he, you know, big judo star and he's going to be the next big Japanese guy. He just didn't have it, you know, and he did the thing where he took off the gi against Silva, which, you know, is his one time of showing some, some fire. And it's like, no, I mean, you should have left the gi on. Cause now you're just getting your ass kicked in a you know, completely different way. But yeah, I mean, you Anoki get a the best of pro wrestlers, pro wrestling's a, it's a singular business. It is a business of, outlaws even in this day and age, you know, people who they don't want to work for anybody else. They basically want to work for themselves and they want to be able to maneuver and have flexibility and all that sort of stuff. And yeah, I mean, when you're always built up to be with a team and to think of things in that sort of way, you know, it's tough to try to break out of that and look at things. That's why a lot of football players have had issues, you know, when they've come into wrestling, the ones who don't get kicked out of the NFL, (laughs) <laughs> you know, in the '70s, guys walked away because they saw the money. You know, some of the guys had tried to get into wrestling and think it was, you know, you know, the same type of thing. It wasn't.
1: Right, and we're talking a lot about, you know, you mentioned, you know, the business of professional wrestling and kind of handling business outside of, of being a wrestler and being professional. But I think too, with Inoki, as we, as we wind down here, we got to talk a little bit about some of the the scandals and. Just kind of his infamy of what happened outside of the ring, and we are kind of touched on what happened with the, the UWF and some of the embezzlement scandals. You know, him li- leaving JWA, start Tokyo Pro Wrestling, and starting New Japan. And it seems like there was always kind of controversy following Inoki from the very beginning of his career right up into the end. Of course, there's uh, the, the two big events that happened in. Uh, North Korea, you know, two of the most attended wrestling shows in history. Of course, uh, the government was uh, forcing the attendance. Um, and of course, you know, Anoki. he then goes on to, to run for um, politics in Japan and, and wins two elections in public offices, but has to leave both of those, both times due to scandals. So real quick, Justin, Mike, some of your thoughts on some of the the scandals that surrounded Anoki.
3: Uh, which way to go? Where to start? There weren't that many. It's just, I recently read when I was reading obituaries about Enoki this week. It's not as much of a scandal, but it says a lot more about his commitment to being a pro wrestler. Once when he was speaking in front of the diet, I forget which year it was, but they were talking about you know, Japan doesn't have a military. They have something called self-defense force. So it's basically like a military that's not meant to to go and fight, but if there's a natural disaster or any other weird things, they have prepared people. So they were talking about that and Inoki brought up a question. He asked, <laughs> He asked, what would happen? What would the SSD do if Martians came? What would they do? How would they approach it how would they protect us he asked it as a serious question he he was (laughs) people were really upset that he was taking the piss out of the well that's what they thought but he you know he never flinched on it he was antonio sincere about it (laughs) well the, the one person writing the obituary mentioned uh how that actually gave the administrators a chance to discuss a situation where okay what if an outside force did try to attack what are some things we can brainstorm and this person kind of appreciated uh enoki's creativity and uh willingness to maybe look the fool because he knew at the end that he he knew what he was doing and a, a lot of it had to do with publicity and a lot of it had to do with hey he's a pro wrestler <laughs>
2: And that's, I think that's the big, <laughs> Antonio Inoki as politician uh, yeah. was I mean, not,
3: not to be taken too seriously.
2: Yeah. You know, you look at the type of work that like, you know, Hase has done. I think that's, he may be the good, the best example, I hmm. think.
3: He's still with. He works with the sports and uh, recreation. Uh, yeah,
2: he's like the head of the the fitness council, you know, yes. and all that sort of thing. I mean, you see what he's done and what other people have done. You see what Anoki has done. And look, Anoki, he was able to run because of the way that the diet is set up over there. He didn't have to represent a you know particular region or anything like that. He was able to run off of his fame, and he was able to get himself into a great position and. You know, one word that has not been brought up at the the entire time here has been Yakuza, and mm-hmm. obviously we know what their tentacles are, how deep they can go sometimes into pro wrestling and certainly into mixed martial arts and fighting and all of that sort of stuff. How much did that play into him being driven out of office the first time, along with embezzlement, which was one of his fortés going back to the early '80s, and I believe it was Anton Hissel. The uh, the Brazilian biotech company that apparently the New Japan TV money was being that's right into
4: and, yeah you
2: know and as you know again yes TVSI stood by him but if they didn't you know what would have happened then what what could have happened you know those guys from UWF they were able to go back to New Japan it just it is he's a fascinating figure that way but his politics certainly certainly was more along the lines of a pro wrestler getting into politics, but where, where he gets again is just a is, well, who else was able to go to North Korea? Sure. You can talk about wacky people like Dennis, <laughs> Kore- Dennis Rodman, who did, but it's still a and a still went and, and met with Hussein and still was able to do some of the things that he's been able to do. So, again yes is it a lot of work is it a lot of showmanship is it a lot of all that stuff yeah but again who else again who who, who if not enoki who if not ali and he's not here who
3: i think also enoki for better or worse Throughout the nineties the and and well, I guess you could even start with the whole UWF initial embezzlement scandal. He's not didn't seem to be above sacrificing people he worked with or or people that worked under him. And I think when I, when I use the word sacrifice, I really do think of guys like Kendo Kashin and Yuji Nagata, who were kind of Inoki you know, was old at the time. He couldn't fight in pride. He no way. I mean, the the Don Frye match was a pro wrestling match, and you he, know he, he was he was fit, but he wasn't. Don't put him in a Pride match, yeah. Um and I think he saw himself as such a big character, which he was. But you know what? When that kind of stuff happens, people change, and he really did believe. I'm sure that. Uh, Booking Dos Caras Jr. in a match would be a good idea in Pride. Or or, or putting <laughs> having the IWGP heavyweight champion, the, the standing IWGP heavyweight champion, take about with Crow Cop on only a few days' notice. Like I I know that like in the States, the loss of innocence for pro wrestling fans officially has to be like when Vince got on the TV and said that we're sports entertainment. In Japan, I think you could point to this era of guys like nagata getting mauled by uh people from europe unknowns that they'd never really heard of before until pride k1 and such and i think that definitely changed the the makeup of the general japanese fan and market at the time is their loss of innocence
2: as well yeah i think had a lot to do with that too you know and i think because like to me you can obviously and absolutely make a case for Anoki and Takata to be in MMA Hall of Fames in some respect, you know, as far as them being, you know, being honored in some way, the same way you would honor an announcer or something like that in the baseball or football Hall of Fames. I think there's a place for them, but like, yes, the Hickson work with Takata, and, but the, again, what happened after that and then to see like almost to a person these guys, Minoru Suzuki, or Yuji Nagata, or Kashin, or, I mean, down the line of how many guys had one-off fights and gotten knocked out, you know, or got beat up. up. Manabu Nakanishi, you know, when you mm-hmm. start thinking about jungle fights and you know, guys in rings that should have never been in rings and then guys in pride and k one, and again, too, that's the other part, and I know this is going off on a different tangent, but like talk about a few days' notice on Nagana. You know, Stefan Leco, I'm trying to think of a fight he had in his debut with Pride where his back was screwed. He should have never been in there, and he was basically in there on short notice because of the way that they would work these fights. You know, letting somebody know on short notice they have a fight you know, throwing money at this person, throwing a bunch of people at this person's door the night before, whether it be women and booze and drugs and this and that, like it was such a it was such a bizarre time. It's such a bizarre time.
3: To that- me, it's very much. Uh, this is just me speculating from years of studying it, but to me, that kind—I don't want to say booking, but that like putting uh, talent in these really weird. Generally bad, non-sports-like conditions that you wouldn't really experience in any other professional sports. I think that's more of a Fuji TV technique, and mm-hmm. I I know, like if you remember, I forget who Mark Coleman fought, but he got his ass kicked, and then they had his kids come into the ring. It was remember that. Was it Fedor? Yeah, and the, the, his little girls were, like, crying. Oh,
2: the, dis- the most disgusting one to me is still Tadalya Suda, where they do the whole thing, of <laughs> him coming back, he's bankrupt, he's gambling too much, and they have his daughter in yeah. the front row, and he goes out on the stretcher, and it's like, holy shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, <laughs> uh, it was crazy. and the thing crazy. is, we do it here, too. I remember, remember the, uh, oh, God, who was it? Was it uh, Manny Pacquiao? No, who was it? There was a fight. They kept showing this poor woman in the crowd. Oh, it was Miguel Cotto's wife when Cotto fought uh, the dude who had his gloves all uh, plastic. Margarito, Margarito, Margarita, and they're showing his wife screaming, and it's like, yeah, no it was bad. That. <laughs> yeah, we're no better.
0: <laughs> you know, it's it's funny because at the beginning, Justin, you were like, "There's not that many uh, scandals," but there's so many scandals. St- <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but like something like that, I
3: I would say like. That's another part of the whole story, too. I think we got to understand how much more the television companies are involved with pro wrestling over in Japan. Like, in the 80s especially, that that war, All Japan, New Japan, I mean, that's what it was. But what it was in reality was NTV versus TV Asahi. And Fuji TV has always had – they're, like, a little edgier, a little more – like quote-unquote real realistic base i don't know the aesthetic is different but if you stretch it to more recently they also put on this show called terrace house which hanatomaru was on and yeah it's it's more of like a fuji tv that's the nature of certain channels or or people and japanese businesses sometimes don't take into account um like it's all about the rating, right? no, no matter what. <laughs> sensitivity, especially to foreign talent, it's just not what they're thinking about. I, I, I think, and, and when uh, you're dealing with money like that, and you're dealing with huge ratings like that, there is that pressure to go even bigger. And I, I think, I don't want to like put blame on Nokia, but I think parts of it are for, they're, It's from all over. But yes, he he is involved or around scandal, the North Korea thing, especially. I mean, fighting spirit diplomacy was just you know what they, was what it was, I guess. I mean, I don't know if it did anything.
0: We're we're gonna it, move it, on to the um to the last subject, but a couple things I just wanted to mention because you guys did a great job on a lot of the stuff, but a few things that I think we'd be remiss if we didn't talk about was you know, there's obviously the criticism that he stayed on top too long, there was the issue that he didn't put over anybody on the way out essentially aside from like the one year when he lost to Tenru and that whole thing is very interesting because it's like he was building UFO he had Ogawa kill Hashimoto so that another he,
3: sacrifice
0: yeah he sacrificed Hashimoto so he could have Ogawa as the domestic ace and Don Fry as the foreign ace and he could have put Ogawa over on the way out but he had Don Fry go over so he could beat Don Fry so he could be in a position where he beat a ufc superstar <laughs> on the way out uh which was kind of crazy um there's obviously the incident where he told allegedly told a drunk andre to shoot on maida and as recently as just a couple years ago he was in an interview with maida and they asked why that match never took place and it, he said i was afraid of maida because you know the reports are that like guys like Fujiwara, and maida probably could have beaten him in a real fight. And you never knew what would happen with Maeda had that, you know, money match actually taken place. Um, There was the incident where he entered the ring and he punched out Nakamura after he just got just, you know, defeated in an MMA fight. Um, There's the infamy of him buying Castro's Island and naming it Friendship Island because he thought that there was going to be, you know, potentially buried treasure on it. I Uh, forgot that one. (laughs) There's also, you know, him negotiating with Saddam allegedly. And there's like people that say he just happened to be in the right place at the right time. And he gets more credit for negotiating for those hostages as well as negotiating with uh, North Korea. And maybe he did. Maybe he didn't. It's part of his legend. We don't really know. It, it, and uh, and again, double crossing Hashimoto. There's just a lot of things that like this guy's life is so interesting. Like and there's and at the end of this, we'll point you guys to some other. uh resources if you want to do more research but like yeah there's a lot of scandals a lot of infamy and it's he was a pro wrestler yeah at, at, the, at the highest level
1: and josh you know one thing you you mentioned and justin mentioned it too about sacrifices and some talent that didn't you know get the rub from working from Anoki. you think about you look at Anoki's, you know 20 year career just some of the names that were there that really didn't really benefit from being with Anoki. you look at tatsumi fujinami he never won a singles match against Anoki. Uh, got a time limit draw in '88. Then you look at Keiji Muto one singles match in '94. Anoki won. Hashimoto zero singles matches. Chono zero singles matches. Sasuke, Tenzan, Kojima, Nagata all zero singles matches against Anoki. You know, not really putting into these this generation of guys. And you know, Mike, you mentioned you know the treatment of Shinsuke Nakamura. Um, we had uh, Shibata who was kind of frustrated during that time period and leaving, and so. You look at all these talent that were that were there during that time period, and kind of when he when Inoki was leaving, guys who were just like you mentioned, Justin, because that's kind of sacrificed, and guys who could have been, you know, maybe bigger stars than they were. You know, we talk about Nagata a lot. It's like that big, like what if, like what if Nagata wasn't put in that situation, could he have been a bigger star than what he was? Would he have helped even more during that kind of dark age of New Japan? Of course, we we love Nagata now, but. I'm wondering if he would have been seen to an even an higher level if he had not been put in that compromising position.
0: One, one last thing. He helped finance uh, WrestleMania by giving Vince McMahon Jr. a loan of a million dollars, and then they paid it back to him and cut ties immediately, stopped getting dates on, on Hulk Hogan.
3: <laughs> yeah, that was a, that was a big... That, the the relationship between Vince Sr. and Inoki was... I mean, that was the counterpart to the NWA, that, that alliance, until... Hulk Hogan blew up and uh, Vince Jr. took control and cut t- they even had a press conference in Japan officially cutting ties, but uh, he's everywhere.
0: Yeah. And we, when we were talking about big programs and we can't name them all, I mean, the Andre feud was like the big money annual, you know, match that they did for a decade that like helped sustain, you know, the legend of Anoki as well. But um, as, as we ri- wind down, I, I guess I'll kick it to all you guys, you know, As far as Inoki, just final thoughts, innovations, his signatures, his accomplishments, you know, his retirement tour, favorite
2: memories. And like, what is his legacy ultimately to you? Mike,
3: you want to go first?
2: Yeah, uh, sure. Um, You know, the more I think about it, if you had that Rushmore and you only had four, Inoki would be an easy fit to be on it. because. From there's a lot of different ways to look at pro wrestling, but as far as the pro wrestler himself, you know, you could run a business, you could be a booker, all these sort of who, as far as a pro wrestler and taking it to the absolute max, is there anybody bigger than Antonio Inoki? And he was very lucky that he had the right willing dance partners. But, you know, that's just how this thing works sometimes in in nature and in fate. You know, like, Ali, hey, we could be talking about Muhammad Ali fighting Lyle Alzado. You know, that happened too. It really did happen. But, like, we're not. But we'll talk about Inoki until, you know, forever we'll be talking about that. You know, long past we're gone. So, like, he is, in some ways, the ultimate pro wrestler. Did things his way ran his own company and to his very dying day, you know, could still go almost anywhere in the world. And yeah, you know, there's been a lot of shine taken off of him for a lot of the things that we mentioned and we've talked about, but he was such a, he was such a huge enduring larger than life personality and star that I I mean, the epitome of pro wrestling, he just an amazing, amazing figure in almost every single way. And I think the one extra special
3: thing about Inoki is in addition to everything Mike said, he's also in a unique position, you know, Baba had passed away before this, before MMA bloomed into what it is. And he was a huge part of that. Not unlike Riki Dozan was, it's a different idea, but Riki Dozan helped uh, establish and cultivate pro wrestling in Japan. And I think Inoki not exactly did that, but, intentionally or not he he was a center part of that i can't think of many people who have such a wide-reaching influence too i mean I, I don't think like vince mcmahon is vince mcmahon but his uh his world was limited to certain you know it wasn't as international as i guess uh enoki's was he did a lot of his work internationally enoki i mean and there's so many things outside of wrestling that he was a part of like from north korea to to being huge in italy to yep. being one of the main people to uh bring tabasco sauce to japan <laughs> i mean uh, the hostage releases uh the world peace festival which we didn't talk about which was you know looking back it had its huge important moment. moments for certain careers too and and we were talking about it earlier if it wasn't for inoki a lot of wrestlers would have had very very different careers a lot um and the idea of, like putting him over uh putting over people on his way out i know when he left uh new japan initially like 89 90 i i always kind of saw that as choshu's era it was kind of choshu's responsibility to get right. three musketeers and companies over because inoki just got too big for pro wrestling i guess but um i guess that's another thing too he's somebody who like the rock transcended pro wrestling in ways in a, yeah. of course um i would say the rock is probably more similar to like a santo we, we went the entertainment route he's a he's a huge worldwide entertainer whereas inoki you know talk about your own path i mean it's we could keep going and going with this there's, there's topics that we probably didn't hit that we could talk about for even more and, it's well, from Inoki. On
2: Mexico. I mean, we didn't even bring up Mexico and the UWA mm-hmm. and Connect taking kind of the right. same formula that Inoki had and yeah. Bruno kind of used the same thing. Mm-hmm. And that tie-in, it just, there is, it's, we, we, it, would be, it would take hours. It would take hours upon hours. And you still couldn't hit all of it. And the fact that you have to bring in so many people to talk about so many different aspects of it because he does range so wildly with his successes. Again, it's just a... Man, you know, with Muda in him, unfortunately, you know, I got at least got to see Muda's run as a wrestler and I got to see pretty much the whole thing and being able to go back on tape, you know, being able to live through it with a Noki. I didn't have that, you know, he came along and he was more of a unicorn. I knew him for the Ali fight. I knew him from the magazines, but there was not a whole lot to see. And when you did see the one-off thing, you know, without context, and really truly understanding it's, it's tough to really, it's like, what, he's not really doing all that much. Well, the the greats don't. (laughs) At that point he certainly did it. So it's just, it's a, we're going to be unpacking him for a lot longer than I think, we expect to, because I think people are going to do more deep dives in and go further past back just the death of new Japan and the rise of MMA and just the Ali fight, you know, there's so much more to to talk about with him and there's so many avenues you can take it. And so many, again, so many different ways you could take and so many different stories you could get out of it.
0: Yeah. I, I think that at this point, and you know, it's funny every week we put out a, uh, Questionnaire: People that want to ask questions. This is one of the only weeks that we've gotten almost no questions in, you know, almost five years of doing the podcast. And on this topic, we got basically none. And it what it tells me, I think it's number one. There's a lot of modern fans that are unfamiliar with Anoki and maybe his uh, legacy and his impact. And also, there's still those negative resentments for modern fans where they feel like. All they really remember is like, at one point, this guy did different style fights, and then there was a and it almost killed the business, and that's about it, and it's my hope that through this period, people become, um, you know, more educated on what his influence and his impact really was. Even, I, I would probably disagree with some of the, um, I, I know there is a modern um, view that he didn't put a lot of guys over on the way out, but the reality is this guy was done in 88. And everything that he pretty much did after 88 was just dome shows where he came back and worked big, you know, main events like The Rock or like Stone Cold Steve Austin. He wasn't an active wrestler that was, and he wasn't booking. That was all Choshu, like you guys mentioned. But, like, you look at the guys that he did, even if he wasn't putting over people. I mean, he made Hulk Hogan. He made Stan Hansen. He made... Uh, you know, Fujinami to a certain degree. He made Ricky Choshu. uh, He made Vader on the, you know, in the tail end of his career, which like the, the Vader and the Hogan losses are two of the most shocking moments in the history of pro wrestling. And you look at the accomplishments, like you guys mentioned, you know, winning a championship in Mexico, the WWF title. And, you know, this guy's a 12 time world champion. Obviously he was booking himself, but for a good reason. He was the top star. And I mean, he was a cultural star. He was a wrestling star. He was international. I mean, he traveled literally all over the world. He wrestled in Brazil and Mexico, and in Madison square garden and in Russia and, and in, uh, you know, South Korea and in Italy and just literally all over. He went to India. I mean, how many like modern wrestlers can we think of that had that sort of global impact? I mean, We know people that went in canada we know people that went to like the major markets but we don't know too many people that were going to all these places and were able to draw and be on top and and have the kind of uh you know influence and and uh just impact that Anoki did like he he's one of one of a kind really when you really think about it there's not too many people that you can draw that one for one comparison and then you think about even just like the funny things like him slapping people to transfer <laughs> his fighting spirit. Uh he innovated the Enziguri uh later in life after the um after the Anoki fight because his kicks were so feared and he needed to find a better way to uh you know finish opponents and, and kind of change his his style. Um even the red towel that became part of his the scarf and his chin. It's like Elvis. Yeah, there's just so many things, and I mean, like you guys said, we could we could sit here and talk about An Anoki forever because he was it, so influential.
2: Didn't even talk about his Hollywood wife. You know, I don't know what Hollywood is over, or what Bollywood or Hollywood is in Japan, but I mean, yeah, you know, he had a she famous Akira Kurosawa movies. Yeah, she was in Kurosawa movies, so it's like you know and there was an infidelity scandal with that too yes and you know and and there's a whole personal side of him to unpack that again he you you only got so close only certain people were able to get so close into that circle to really know what that is and that's why I think also as time goes on we may hear more stories of what it was like you know to be around Inoki you know just because there's so many stories that have never been told you know, and there's interest in, I'm certainly, I'm sure there's a lot of interest in hearing a lot of that.
1: Yeah, I mean, Inoki's legacy, like you guys mentioned, he just transcends, transcends pro wrestling, MMA, sports, um, just pop culture, like we mentioned, the, the Ali fight, I mean, you could ask non-wrestling fans, non-boxing fans uh, about that Ali-Inoki fight, and people will be able to remember that and tell you about that. I've, I've talked with Older family members who like, yeah, I remember that, that was a, a big deal, and kind of remembering that Enoki fight. And you know, for for kids of, of me and Josh's generation, if you you watched the Pokemon cartoon in season one, there was an Anoki like character, a tall guy with the big chin and, and the red scarf in that in that cartoon. There's so 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 much in Yu Gi Oh too. Yeah, Yu Gi Oh. So much in media where he kind of transcended it and was kind of this big kind of cultural icon like i mentioned earlier you you see all these different news sources across the world that bears (laughs) yeah
3: he was in the the bad news bears sequel he was he played a a kind of monster in a really old movie with ricky dozon where he this is the only time he technically wrestled ricky dozon was in this movie he was kind of like this martian alien guy that ricky Dozan beat up he appeared even before pokemon he was on the 1968 or 69 tiger mask cartoon he was one yeah. of tiger masks opponents so it, and he was in commercials constantly and i the last time i was in japan a couple years ago i was walking to the station and saw his face on uh, some ramen restaurant he was doing an ad for he was on commercials and he it's it's be, like we keep saying it but he has transcended pro wrestling in a in a deep way and and i think the, the fact that if people don't know about it this is a great way to you know understand who he was because i think understanding inoki helps you understand so much of modern pro wrestling you know i, I understand that it's like trying to get into frank zappa's collection like the, today <laughs> it's it's just it's so layered but you got to start somewhere and there's tons of resources out there to start with like i mean josh gross has that book that's just about the ali fight that's just right. one yeah. i mean think about how much we talked about today there's a book on just one of those topics so and
0: there's people doing whole podcast series on just that book about the one fight which is yeah <laughs> it's a, just a glimpse
3: reason. into like there's so much more that happened and uh we'll feel his effect for i mean we've been feeling it and i think we'll feel it more in years and thankfully there's things like streaming services like new japan world youtube and uh, just the internet podcast is so much it's so much easier to to learn about it now so yeah before
0: before we uh let you guys go i just want to let you know this was a podcast that because we're dealing with such a controversial and complicated and uh kind of heavy and and important subject matter i was like excited about it but also kind of nervous because i'm like dang like anoki's the founder and this is a new japan podcast and i want to make sure we we do it right. And you guys have made it uh, both. I mean, obviously Jeremy, but both you, Justin and Mike have made it. uh, I feel pretty special and very informative and um, enjoyable on my end. I feel like I could do this forever, but um, if you guys have, you know, final thoughts or, you know, plugs that you guys want to put out there for projects you guys have and maybe even um, other supplemental resources that people might want to check out when it comes to the subject
1: but well, real quick before they, they get the, the plugs in real quick i just want to mention you know with the, the lasting legacy of Anoki in new japan an announcement did come out that before he passed that he um accepted an honorary role with new japan they had initiated an announcement as a part of the 50th anniversary celebration he decided um to be the company's honorary lifetime chairman And he accepted that uh, invitation. It was supposed to be officially announced uh, during the upcoming Declaration of Power event. Um, He accepted that on September first, but obviously, due to his passing, that that big, you know, celebration uh, was not going to happen. But um, in that role, it was to celebrate Inoki's contributions as founder, a wrestler, and beyond. So you know, even though there was a a rocky road with New Japan, um, it seemed like things kind of came full circle for him, and he was going to be celebrated and they will continue to celebrate him. Like you mentioned, there's the playlist on uh new Japan world. Um, so yeah, Justin Mike, if you guys want to yeah, get your plugs in on, on stuff that you guys have been working on with Inoki and just other stuff that you guys have going on right now.
3: Uh, for me, I, I know that Fumi Saito and I did five podcast episodes on Inoki's life earlier this year. And if you go on Spotify or Apple and you type in fight game media, fight game media network, that podcast feed has all of those up on their service so there's that uh also if you are into all kinds of different wrestling and you don't want to watch new japan world you want to add to it sign up for wrestle universe right now two weeks free yeah that's right uh wrestle universe is having two weeks free uh they you could watch pro wrestling noah you can pro- watch ddt gunbari pro tokyo joshi pro some zero one all kinds of cool stuff get on that as well. And uh, uh October thirtieth, Keiji Muto, who we talked about a little bit today, he'll be at Ariake Arena. Noah returns to Ariake Arena. Uh that'll be exciting. I don't think I have any more plugs though. There you go. Thanks I, guys.
2: I just know Sting and Muto are gonna be a, be anywhere near each other, and Sting is ringing Darby Allen along. That's got to mean good things for Ninja Mac. In my mind, that means good things for Ninja Mac if that happens. But so it's very
3: interesting. <laughs>
2: <laughs> so you can you can find me, um, well, in a variety of places, doing a variety of things with a variety of different personalities. Sometimes just within myself, but Wrestling Observer Live every single day with Brian Alvarez and I are more of a a general professional wrestling type of show speaking about all sorts of things happening in WWE and AEW mostly but also on the wrestlingobserver.com website it is uh the big audio nightmare that's where that is housed where we have been doing that since 2005 we have been doing that show well since new japan was in the dark ages actually believe it <laughs> or not that's how long we've been doing shows together adam summers and i and The show recently, relatively recently, it's been a while now, became uh, free for everybody. So if you are on Apple, Spotify, Downcast, whatever it is you use to listen to your uh, podcast, the uh, my big audio nightmare is up there. And this past edition that we did um, not only speaks about Inoki, I also added in my seven-minute bio from the Wrestling News, and I'll get to that in a minute as well as Stardom's five-star Grand Prix and audio from a show that Adam and I did earlier on in the pandemic, where we watched Inoki and Bob Backlund from November of 1979. And we talk about some of the wackiness that took place around that, including was he really trying to keep the belt in Japan? (laughs) Ah, There's all that we talk about, all that stuff. And uh, also the wrestling news, which I, I just mentioned as well, too, which I am really proud of. I'm really happy to do every single day between 8 and 20 minutes a day. We're going to give you all the top professional wrestling news that you need to know. Dave and Brian are going to have an at least an hour-long show, and you never know what could be taking place with what takes dave off track there's plenty (laughs) of shows that are great including this one you know to review things that happen in the world of professional wrestling we're just here to get you to those shows i wanted to do a show that did not step on anybody's toes didn't get in anybody's lane but brought home the news every single day to somebody if they're on the train if they're on their way to school if they're on their way to work if they're on break it gives you everything you need to know in the world of professional wrestling, crisp, clean, concise, without banter, without a whole bunch of nonsense involved in it. Not a bunch of conjecture and opinion, none of that stuff, just the wrestling news. And you can find that at the wrestlingnews.com, at wrestling at wrestlingnewsav. uh it's on the Arcadian Vanguard YouTube page as well, too. But YouTube is always a a hole for everything. So I always say avoid that and just listen to yourself. If you got the the Google gimmick or the Amazon gimmick, you could tell it to play it as well too. (laughs) So that the big audio nightmare wrestling observer live every day. And then also the mid Atlantic championship podcast, which, Celebrates the history of Jim Crockett promotions and follows along a lot of the TV that's on the WWE network as well as some some stuff that's not on the WWE network that we have in our archives and in our collections that we're going to be talking about and that we have talked about. So I do a lot of different stuff. So (laughs) follow me on Twitter at Vivi if you don't already and I'll lead you to it. Trust me.
1: Nice. Well, Semp, Justin, thanks so much again for joining us to talk about Enoki And like you guys mentioned, we could go on for hours and hours about just his legacy and what he means to the professional wrestling industry, what he meant to New Japan Pro Wrestling. So thanks again for joining us, guys. Thanks for having me. Thank you very much. Absolutely.
2: Let's do this again yeah. soon.
1: All right, and we... What's so special about Hero bread? soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra low net carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands. And are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. you are back. Uh, it was so good having Mike and Justin on to discuss and cover the career and legacy of Antonio Noki, especially for somebody... Like me, who you know, uh, I'll say I, I know Anoki and I know some of the, the key facts and and stories and figures. But you know, kind of like you were mentioning before in the intro, Josh. You know, you've done a lot of watching and reading and of Anoki kind of been a, a big kind of quote unquote you know flagway of Anoki, especially Anokius. In- yeah, you've been in Anopeas in our like little little wrestling circle of friends, and so. Uh, for somebody who like me who's really a lot of my Inoki exposure has become because of you because you're like yo you you have to watch this Andre match you you need to watch him invade or you need to watch this match like because of you you know a lot of my knowledge of Anoki and just kind of his wrestling style uh is where I got that from and so it was cool hearing you know you and and Justin and and Mike kind of share your perspective and knowledge and kind of dive deep into Anoki's uh, career yeah
0: and i um I don't know I don't really ever do stuff like this on this podcast but like you know I sometimes I feel like the perception of what we are is bigger than how we view ourselves as a podcast and our space in the community and um you know sometimes I don't realize how other people view us (laughs) and the perception like I think people think and granted we've had a lot of success but I do think people sometimes think we're bigger than we than we are (laughs) And uh, it it was kind of surreal sitting with guys that I think are, you know, pillars of the wrestling community in, in Justin and in Mike, especially the, the amount of time that they've been contributing and working in and facilitating. So I was like, kind of nervous (laughs) to talk with, uh, talk with them about (laughs) Anoki,
1: Yeah, definitely a really a uh, big topic there. But yeah, I'm glad uh, yeah Semp and Justin could come on and lend their knowledge to us and to you guys, the listeners, and, and kind of help you, um, you know, look into Anoki, learn more about Anoki, and just kind of celebrate what he means to the wrestling world.
0: I was also nervous because once it's done, it's done. Just like anytime someone passes and you do a memorial or a burial or anything like that, and it's like you say your goodbyes and it's for me, it's kind of sad because I don't know if there are that many wrestlers. There's a lot of wrestlers I love from like a, uh, well, I wouldn't say love. There's a lot of wrestlers that like I study and I like, but there's not too many people that I really go hard for. And uh, I feel like, um, you know, when Vader died, that was pretty difficult. When uh warrior died, you know, whatever your thoughts of him were, which I'm not going to make excuses, but as a child, I loved him. And that was pretty sad. And when Flair dies, that's gonna be rough. But this is right up there with that. Like this is like one of my I guess heroes. <laughs> yeah. And uh it's it's sad. Um and, uh, we did have a question from Rich though that we didn't address that I feel like maybe you and I can just uh talk about real quick before we move on.
1: Yeah, Rich asked us whose philosophy between Baba and Anoki really won. <laughs> And uh, what do you think about that, Jeremy? Because that's a tough one. Yeah, that that is tough. I mean, again, like you mentioned earlier, you know, I think a lot of people discredit Anoki's influence with the, with the style of wrestling. I think people focus in on the Anokiism and the shoot fights and the MMA kind of stuff, and having wrestlers try to fight MMA fighters and lose. I think I think a lot of people really zero in on that and not necessarily just him as a wrestler and the style of booking and like we, like we mentioned on the discussion with with Justin and Mike, and we talked about that kind of that Hogan, you know, booking style that he kind of developed. And we've kind of seen that really become a a major kind of part of North American pro wrestling um, for, you know, last, you know, 30 years. Um, I know not everybody uses that formula, but we've seen it with, Hogan and Cena and a lot of these bigger guys kind of formula that Anoki kind of put out there and then just to like with some of the guys he trained like you mentioned Sayama and Tiger Mask and training him and getting him over to his level and his influence there and then also you look at Baba where with Baba, you know, again like we talked about with Anoki he was focusing on that, that that strong style and trying to show that wrestling is real where I felt like Baba just found you know great wrestlers and told them to go out there to have that great professional wrestling match um and of course you know you, t- you talk about like, the king's road style and I think a lot of that does does come too from a lot of what Enoki was doing as well um so it's really hard to say you know overall who really won um I think I'll see you know Anoki's probably more influential and probably remembered more maybe then then Giant Baba kind of transcends wrestling more than Giant Baba did uh but I think both of their fingerprints are are still all over current product today
0: yeah that's absolutely true uh it, it, it's kind of like a 1A1B situation or you could even say a push um because the reality is modern New Japan is closer in booking practice and um storytelling style to king's road than it ever was to what strong style was in the 80s and the 70s um so from that perspective you might say like oh baba one but the reality is once you get outside of the turn of the millennium both new japan and all japan their styles start to amalgamate into one thing especially post Anoki Exodus and post Anokiism and the dark days and the dark ages, per Rezu as a whole begins to meld into one kind of thing. And you know, the 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 different philosophies between these two guys. One was an evolution of the classic southern wrestling NWA big match style. In the tradition of your Harley races and your Dory Funks and your Jack Briscoes and your Luthes's and that sort of thing. And then on the other side, you have Enochism which is the evolution of the Lancashire style and the Carl gotches and that shoot style. And it's kind of revolutionary, but it's also hearkening back to the roots of pro wrestling. And both of these influences can be seen. I mean, um, Like they mentioned on the audio, how Inoki uh, brought in things that were distinctly martial arts, like the kicks and the stiff elbow strikes and the chops and the realistic submissions. These might sound like small things, but that's not really what you were seeing in all Japan in the, you know, in the 70s. You know what I mean? You were seeing something that was very similar to Terry Funk and Amarillo and all of that noki was the one that brought in, I mean, okay, j- just to kind of give you an example, you look at Brian Danielson, many people think he's the best wrestler in the world. He wears kick pads and he does headbutts and he does elbow strikes and he does knees and kicks. That's nokiism That is clearly, and he trained in the LA Dojo. That's clearly in vain of that shoot uh influence. How many wrestlers are wearing kick pads today? Where do you think that comes from? Right. You know, hey. Chris Jericho, guy doesn't even kick.
1: he's wearing kick (laughs) pads. Right, yeah. So many people wear kick pads. You look at, you mentioned a lot of submissions. Like how many people nowadays are doing Kimuras and straight arm bars and rare naked chokes and and guillotines in their matches? I I think that that's Inokiism, that kind of blending of using these real holds, these MMA moves that you see finish fights. You know, a a lot of times when we see uh, flash finishes by strikes and stuff like that. Um, that's anokism. Yeah, we're, you see that a lot now in in wrestling. So I think again, it's kind of hard hard to say who really won. Where I think their influences still, both of them are, are are there.
0: On Wednesday night, when Mox beat Juice with a flash, Gitami or straight armbar or cross armbreaker, that's anokism. That's not something you would have seen under Baba. So th- th- there are different schools and philosophies that I think are both. Um, influencing modern performers and modern bookers absolutely but uh it's tough and then when you do consider the longevity of Anoki as a cultural icon and also his influence on mma i am kind of inclined to to say him but it's hard to it's hard to argue against that king's road style and that long form storytelling and that beautiful you know uh booking pattern that he laid out that was in my opinion, superior to the booking practices and storytelling designs of Anoki.
1: Yeah. Oh, uh, we had another question here from front of the show, Zach Porter. He wants to know when are we going to get the multi-part Anoki retrospective by the young boy. You know it's fun? I'm not going to do it. I don't think. But like, <laughs> I think I could easily like do. I think I could do like a a
0: year by year retrospective on Anoki and his life, and the-, the information's out there. But uh. If I ever did that, that'd probably be behind a paywall. Maybe if you guys are actually interested in that, you tell me, but I don't know. I don't know if that would be worth my time and efforts and energy.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, that's going to uh, wrap up our Anoki discussion. Oh, la-
0: last thing, um, there is a special playlist that's out now at JPW World that allows fans to celebrate the life of Anoki has a huge selection of matches and a lot of them are in English and a lot of them are free, even if you're not a subscriber to new Japan world. So, uh, that stuff is available as
1: well. I guess real quick, do we want, do we want to talk briefly about some of the matches we watched this past, uh, week, or do we want to save that? For I late? figured we'd
0: save that to the end, but we could talk about it now. Cause I'm, I'm, I, we're not doing, we threw out the format this week. So there's not recommended match of the week and wrestler of the or, you know, excursion match of the week. Uh, Jeremy, what, what matches did you watch this week, and what were your thoughts on them?
1: Yeah, so I went on to you know, the playlist there on New Japan World, and I, I watched uh, a couple different things from some different years. Um, so I watched um, Inoki versus uh, Tiger King, which was uh, obviously Tiger Mass. 97? Uh, yeah, Sayama coming back um, to, to face off against Inoki during the Inoki retirement tour. It's a pretty important match, yeah. And which there was a big, you know, falling out between Sayama and Inoki, which caused, you know, Sayama to leave and him to, you know, give that Tiger Mask gimmick to Inoki, which Inoki would then end up selling off to, to Baba and all Japan. Um, and also that created uh, Masawa and on and on from there. Uh, but yeah, them kind of coming back together here, having this big match. Um, uh, and Tiger Mask at that, I don't, I don't remember what, how old he was there, but also he was definitely he was heavier and older. Yeah. But he was still moving like very light floating across the ring. And that was, um, it's a really fun match. Cause it's like, I don't know. It's like, you, you think of a like, gear, your, your super heavyweight top star guy against like your best, like high flyer. Guy. It's a dream
0: match that could have never have happened in the eighties. Although it should have because they were the top two draws and stars at a certain point, especially A two, eighty three. But you know, the whole reason Sayama left is because they wouldn't push him at the top, even though he was a big enough of a cultural icon to draw and maybe even be the successor, but they still had that mentality that a small guy couldn't be at the top and they were favoring Fujinami and give and then the embezzlement scheme and he ended up leaving to help form UWF. But, uh, it's a dream match in every sense of the word.
1: Yeah, and especially because, of, like, look back at Enoki's you know, his whole career, he, he didn't really wrestle guys like Tiger Mask. You don't really see him wrestling smaller guys or high-flying guys. And so to see no. just, just to see what it was like for Enoki to kind of mix it up with somebody like Tiger Mask was maybe really – Maybe
0: connects the closest thing in Mexico.
1: Yeah. And, again, both of those guys with just huge crowd reactions. It, it was fun watching that. Also, I watched Anoki um, versus Dr. Death, Steve Williams from October 25th, 1987. That's uh, a, a little bit of a rare match, and I haven't ever seen that one. Yeah, that was really fun. I'm a big fan of Dr. Death, uh, Steve Williams uh, back in the day. And again, he's another one of those like foreign monsters that we talked about that kind of came in and did a business with Anoki, so watching that uh, was also very, uh, very fun match. And obviously, Doctor Death was kind of a, a bruiser in that match, and Anoki was, you know, fighting from underneath and having to come back and and prevail against Steve Williams. And Doctor Death was, you know, hitting with, with big suplexes and slams, and Anoki coming back with a lot of strike based uh, offense there. And then uh, that one uh, ended in a count-out. If I remember correctly, Anoki hit that uh, the the Enziguri And then uh, that led Dr. Death to get uh, counted out on the outside. Uh, But that was a fun matchup. Uh, And and
0: that one's also interesting, too, because Dr. Death would become so integral and important to the mythos of all Japan. But at this time, you know, they uh, because New Japan had lost the WWF deal in 85, they were venturing out and working with other groups, including Mid-South slash UWF, and they got an early version of dr death before he he made his way to all japan and so this kind of was like pre you know uh triple crown steve williams which is interesting
1: yeah um also watched anoki versus uh crusher bam bam bigelow from february 9th 1989
0: the first ever iwgp version 2 title defense
1: oh nice i didn't realize that yeah um I was surprised. The crowd seemed a little bit dead for this match. Like, they weren't as rampant as you see in some other Enoki matches, and I don't know quite. Well, business is down. It's okay.
0: 87, and was they're it? starting to go through a lull. Plus, Bam Bam Bigelow is a relative rookie in the business, and especially in Japan, and is not as much of a known commodity and hadn't really made his name just yet. He's sort of like your monster of the month at this point.
1: Gotcha. Okay. Yeah, I think Anoki had to work a little bit harder to uh, get the crowd into this. Uh, but yeah, he was a good matchup there with, with Bigelow, which ultimately it led to the post match angle where uh, Vader comes out and destroys Anoki uh, post match, and Anoki and Bigelow are, are beating down. Anoki, which I'm guessing was to set up a another match of Anoki and uh, Vader. And then the uh, last match I watched, I watched. Um, one of his matches with Andre the Giant. Uh, I'm trying to remember which one it was. Um, what was the finish? And maybe
0: I can tell you. Uh,
1: I think it ended in a. I think it was a countout. Maybe I'm I'm forgetting now. Um, did Andre get posted and then bleed, he and was, then get counted out? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, he was wearing red trunks.
0: Yeah, that's the 76 match, I believe. That's for the wwf martial arts title yeah did did he come out with a silver belt yeah that's the martial arts match so that was technically one of the quote-unquote different style matches although it's really just a wrestling match you could probably attest to that i would assume right yeah
1: i didn't yeah i didn't see anything that would have made it quote-unquote different than than a normal pro wrestling match
0: it's marketed and booked as a different style match and counted as one of his MMA esque matches, although it isn't. And that one's one of the better ones. I personally, I prefer the set, the first meeting they ever had the 74 Brazil match from Sao Paulo. Um, and that's on new Japan world as well. It's worse quality from video, but I think that that's the youngest version of, uh, of Andre and kind of the most inventive match that they've had, although that one has a a bad finish as well. The the reality is, is because they ran that, that series of matches for basically a decade, they couldn't have finishes. So, you know, Andre wasn't really beating Anoki, And if he was, it was going to be a count out or a DQ and same way with Anoki, And it wasn't until I believe like
4: 85
0: or 86 when Andre's pretty much done um, in japan that anoki beats him with a fujiwara armbar and he's like one of the only people on records to have submitted uh andre but the one that you watched is generally considered one of the m- most famous and preferred matches between them and i don't know what your thoughts were on just the general action i i actually like that match i like the finish because andre does a pretty good blade job and it's you know, for, as far as count outs go, it's a pretty good count out finish.
1: Right. And I think, you know, a lot of people normally, you know, crap on count out finishes or, you know, draws or stuff like that. But um, I think there is a compelling way to do count outs. And I, I think this is an example here when you have this kind of big monster that you're facing and you have a hard time holding him down to pin him. You have a hard time trying to submit him. Um, so, so, you got to kind of knock him out. And, like you mentioned, the blade job that Andre did was good, you know, had the crimson mask. And it just kind of made Anoki look like this, you know, super, you know, human guy where he was able to, you know, knock out Andre, the giant, have him bleeding buckets of blood. And Andre's just laying there, a bloody mess. So, yes, it was a count out, but you look at the visual of a, a bloody Andre on the outside and Anoki standing tall. In that time period, if you're watching, you're like, man, like, yeah, Anoki just slayed this giant. Like, people weren't caring that it was a, it wasn't a pinfall or submission. You're just like, wow, like, Anoki made this guy bleed. He can't get back in the ring. Like, this is a well, real deal. Well, it's also because Anoki was considered like this
0: incredible technical wrestler, kind of like Bret Hart in his heyday. You know, you look at Bret Hart and you consider his matches with big men like. Diesel or Yokozuna, and it was like believable that he could beat a big man because he was so technically sound. Well, that was pretty much how Inoki was viewed, except for combine that with the fact that he had lethal kicks and lethal chops. Yeah, and it's like, oh my god, he could <laughs> Matt wrestle with this guy and knock him out if given the opportunity. But at the same time, it's the Eighth Wonder of the World. And I mean, one thing I I'm glad you got to watch that match because you probably got to see Andre wrestle. little bit which andre didn't really wrestle too much with too many people but he always wrestled with Anoki and even if that's not everyone's cup of tea the crowd ate it up and like anytime there's an exchange which they had their famous spots that were pretty much set out through most matches like they're pretty cool yeah so yeah i'm glad you got to at least see one andre Anoki match which they're all pretty good honestly
1: yeah which uh matches did you check out
0: you know, I, I didn't really check out too much, but I mean, I can point you guys to stuff that's really good. I mean, it, when I say I've seen most of his, like, catalog, I've seen most of it. Um, the 8 match with Fujinami, which is the final time that Anoki ever challenged for the title. It is a time limit draw, but it's legendary. It's probably the best Anoki match of the 80s. That's one definitely worth checking out. Um, obviously, the 1975 Billy Robinson hour-long draw that we also uh reviewed recently is considered one of his best matches um he has a match with jack briscoe in the 60s that was for many years considered the greatest match in japanese wrestling history um that and that one's long too that one's got to be up there uh the 87 match with masa saito where he they get they break down the ring and they get uh handcuffed together and he ends up bludgeoning Masa Saito, until he's a bloody pulp and just knocks him out. That's a a famous visual. Um, He had several matches with Choshu uh, in 88 that are pretty famous, but the finals of the 85, no, I'm sorry, the 84 uh, Revolutionary Army versus uh, Tai match, and the finals when it ends up being him and Inoki against one another, that's on New Japan World. That's one of the most electric environments you'll ever see. And when he, fought, when he beats Choshu, like it's incredible. Um, the finish against Hogan in 83, the iwgp that's another thing too. We didn't even get to really talk about numbers and, and some of these numbers are hard to verify, but I mean, the, the match with Hogan for, here's how crazy the match with Hogan is. And people don't understand this all through the seventies and leading into the early eighties, new Japan did not have a governing body. And so there were no set, New Japan or IWGP titles. And leading into the early 80s, there was the NWF title, which was like the world title basically. But there was also an NWA international title, which was Sakaguchi's Belt. There was a Caribbean title that uh Abdullah and the Butcher had. And there was also a uh NW, there was another NWA North American title. That actually the North American title was Sakaguchi's, and the international title was Tiger Jeet Sings. And they vacated all four belts when they announced in 81 that there was going to be an IWGP. And they built for two years to the IWGP tournament. And the idea was this was going to be a tournament that determined the best of the best of the best in wrestling. And all other titles, including the NWA title, which Bob and them had over there, (laughs) are irrelevant. Because... The only tournament that really matters is is this IWGP title. And they built to it for like three years. And then the finals come down to Babyface Hogan and Babyface Anoki in a Super Dream match. Tag team partners. You know, the top Gaijin versus the top domestic star of, you know, all these years. And Hogan beats him. And 36 million people watched it live. People don't realize, 36 million people saw that. (laughs) It's crazy. Yeah, it's really, really crazy. Uh, also, uh, my favorite Inoki um, different style match is the Eddie Everett match. Uh, it's listed as Monster Man. I think it's from 77 or 76. Uh, in that match, that one's awesome because there's not very much grappling. It's just a lot of striking and watching Anoki fight a, a kickboxer and having to like not get beat up and try to like survive is incredible. But at the end of the match, he takes Eddie Everett and he gets him in a pile driver position. And he goes to powerbomb Eddie Everett. But Eddie Everett doesn't know how to take a powerbomb because he's not a worker. <laughs> so he ends up in the hangman's position. Like he's going to take a, uh, like a Styles clash. Yeah. And Inoki's like, I got to powerbomb this guy. So he just thrusts it forward a little bit and brings him down like oh. high angle on his shoulders. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. it's incredible. <laughs> <laughs> and before the referee can stop the fight because he's clearly knocked out. Anoki hits the ropes and gives him a leg drop.
1: <laughs> Oldest brother.
0: <laughs> and that's that's my favorite uh different style fight that he ever had. Um, but there's there's other good stuff. Even the um oh the 96 Vader match where Vader gives him high-angle uh German suplexes that almost kill a 52-year-old Antonio Anoki. That's gotta be one that's considered. Everything I just mentioned, those are all gold and Big highlights and stuff that's well worth watching, um, you know, and, and and more. There's a lot more than we're even, you know, talking about. It, it's out there.
1: Yeah. So now I think that will wrap up our uh, discussion on Noki. Let's jump into what's going on in New Japan today. First thing we got to do is um, crown our September Wrestler of the Month and Match of the Month. It was a down month. I'm going to name Anoki. <laughs> 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 oh, man. But, uh, no, for for September, for the Wrestler of the Month, um, I think we're going to go with the current IWGP U.S. champion, Commonwealth Kingpin, Will Ospreay, um, mainly off of the incredible uh, matchup with David Finley at the conclusion of this uh, Burning Spirit tour, um, yeah. and, and just Osprey's presence throughout, throughout the tour. I know uh, Finley was another option we consider, considered. He did have the, the win in the elimination match and probably his best match in his career against Ospreay. Um But, you know, you, you throw in kind of kayfabe uh, in the side too, and Osprey did end up winning the match, and we knew a big part of that match was Osprey, And I think just the way Osprey and United Empire have been presented this month, in strong in the uk and here in japan i think really kind of lends to to osprey getting the rest of the month here
0: yeah it was not a strong month for too many people part of that is because of the the amount of cancellations on the tour uh for various shows and issues and then also the fact that a lot of the uh bigger stars and you know foreign talent that were scheduled for the, the tour were not really readily available until the tail end plus there wasn't a lot of big things going on in north america with new japan of usa so it really did just kind of come down to the big match with uh osprey and and um, finley and i honestly we could have gone finley but we tend in situations like this to go with the person that won the bigger accolade which was a defense of his title for osprey and so we're kind of gonna just land there uh but it is kind of like a finley could have won it but if, if finley had won the title we'd absolutely be naming him wrestler of the month but because it was osprey who happened to retain he's going to be our wrestler of the month this month but you know this was a little unlike other osprey months it wasn't like osprey had a blowaway month he just he had one good match really
1: right and then partly that because he wasn't on majority of the tour at the on beginning the before, yeah yeah um so yeah our match of the month
0: again is osprey and finley we did a an entire review last week and if you haven't caught that definitely check that out we gave you all of our thoughts and uh still in my opinion one of the best matches in new japan this year i think it's a a little underrated according to the reception i'm seeing on like cage match and stuff but uh if you haven't seen that match check it out it is our match of the month for the month of uh, september right
1: yeah okay because you've got october here I, I, I like, What I, I realized that when i was reading through i was like wait a minute we're starting october It's what i was <laughs> what i was thinking but yeah we're naming the september wrestler of the month and match of the month
0: but uh, luckily earlier today uh the full card for declaration of power was released so we are going to have a review of that for you here now and uh jeremy what do you want me to do you want me to run down the card we can talk about it or you want to go match by match how do you want to do this
1: um, I, I think we can go match by match and maybe kind of give um some quick thoughts uh, about each matchup here. Sure. So, uh, the first matchup here is the the Ren Narita, you know, homecoming match. Narita is coming back from excursion, and he'll be teaming up with Dave Finley to take on Rob. Or he'll be teaming with Dave and, and, Robbie and, and Robbie Eagles, and they'll be taking on Doki Despi and Kanamaru from Suzuki Gun
0: yeah, I think this one's interesting in the sense that like typically you would look at this and this match doesn't seem out of place on any regular New Japan undercard, whether that be a Road to show, uh, a new Japan of USA show, or even, um, you know, like a a produce show. I mean, it's kind of just there. But what makes it special is that it's Renderita's return to New Japan, which seems to signal the idea that he is returning from excursion. And I don't really know what to expect from that. If he's going to come in uh, super traditional in the vein of Shibata and your traditional young lion look with the black tights, the black trunks, the black kick pads, and just kind of be what he's been all throughout his young lion days and his uh, excursion, or if he's coming in with some sort of gimmick or character, which I would say doesn't seem to be the case. There's been no interviews. There's been no, vignettes there's been no uh you know nothing to indicate to us that he's changing in any way which is maybe fitting considering the type of you know hard nose no no nonsense wrestler that he is but since it is his return the real question is and we wouldn't be asking this if it was like like let's say if a new japan of america or a road to show but since it's his return is he coming in to eat this pin considering he's teaming with David Finley and Robbie Eagles, or are we looking at a situation where Red is going to put a Narita special on, like, Kanemaru or Doki and pick up a big first, you know, return win here in this uh, opener for Declaration of Power in Sumo Hall?
1: I hope it's the latter. I hope it is him coming in and getting the big win. Like you mentioned, it's going to be interesting to see kind of what the presentation is going to be like. Like you mentioned, no vignettes or anything, to think that it's going to be a different um, name or character or appearance. Um, But I really think he needs to get a win here. And we've talked about this with the kind of the youth problem that New Japan is having right now. And we have a lot of, you know, we have an aging roster and a lot of aging stars, and we need to get more fresh blood in the mix. And so I think having... Narita, come in here and get a big win and kind of start this, um, you know, start this climb of him becoming a main player in New Japan would be uh, very good. They did a great job of him on New Japan Strong, I think, getting him over. He had a lot of big wins and moments on that show. Um, this coming Saturday, he's going to face uh, Juice Robinson, which I'm hearing was a great match. And he got a really good promo leading into that match this week, too. And so I think he, he did it develop really well on strong. And I think you could take what they did on strong and just control C, control V, copy and paste that over to New Japan and make Is that how you copy and paste? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> make him this, you know, tough nose, no nonsense, heavy hitter, striker, tap out kind of guy. And I, I think that can really get over right now.
0: Nice. I'm uh predicting. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go edgy here, and I'm going to predict Narita with the Narita special on Doki, probably.
1: Which Narita special? The the, the suplex or, or the submission? The submission. Okay. I, I'm going to go with the suplex on, on Doki, then. And just mix it up a little bit. Nice. So after that, we have Dangerous Techers, Chi and Zack Sabre Jr. taking on the TMDK team of Bad Dude Tito and Shane Haste.
0: Uh, not much to think about here. I I think it is gonna be fun and interesting to see uh a, an established long-term tag team like Dangerous Techers take on TMDK, Bad Dude Tito, and Chain Haste, two guys that uh, you know, have kind of just been recently brought into the company via team TMDK and have really uh done well for themselves teaming with Jonah and kind of a, are almost sort of quasi part of the company now and it, it will, we'll have to see if that remains to be the case after this tour but uh this uh is sort of feeling like a little bit of a blow off for them as far as this tour is concerned but we're not far off from world tag league and one has to wonder if bad tito and shane haste are going to be involved in that or if we're going to see mikey nichols and shane haste you know rejoin together for that tour but uh, it feels like an open and shut win for Dangerous Techers. And, um, you know, they they just recently faced off against Naito and Zack Sabre Jr. And with there not being IWGP tag team titles on the line on this major card that, and for the foreseeable future, Japan doesn't seem to be the case until maybe until January. Um, this might be Dangerous Techers sort of ramping up for a run in world tag league and whatever might lay beyond that.
1: Yeah. I'm going to take the spicy pick here. I'm going to go my boy, bad dude, Tito and Shane Hayes getting the win here just because of what you mentioned with world tag league. And, you know, uh, mad Mikey Nichols recently had a baby. I don't know if he's going to be back in time, but I feel like you need to est- establish some new teams and bring excitement to the tournament. So what better way than establishing Bad Dude Tito and Shane Hayes by beating Dangerous Techers and making TMDK a unit to be reckoned with in that tournament? Hey, uh, if that happens, I'm
0: not going to be mad at it whatsoever. That sounds fun and exciting, but I'm no dummy. I'm taking the smart money. <laughs> dangerous Techers all day.
1: Uh, so following that, we have Master Watto and Risketaguchi. Teaming up with Hikaleo and Hiroshi Tanahashi, they'll take on the House of Torture, Togo, Evil show, and Nuziro Takahashi.
0: Yeah, I mean, um, I can't think of, like, a, I don't know. This House of Torture, at this point, kind of reminds me of, like, Dungeon of Doom in 1990, like five ninety-six in WCW. <laughs> so it's like, and then the fact that they got him against, like, Tanahashi and Hikaleo—they just seem to be doomed here, but uh, you just never know with House of Torture. The the real interesting thing uh, going into this match is Hikaleo's recent defection from Bullet Club, and by proxy, you know House of Torture, which is which is a subbrand of uh, Bullet Club, and this is his first time really teaming up with Han Tai, and so we're going to see. Well, he did recently in in uh, England as well, but we haven't seen those shows yet they're they're kind of like the bret hart tom McGee, <laughs> sort of lost sort of like uh rick flair versus bob Backlund and uh the omni in 82 like we just don't know if we're ever going to see this this shit or not but uh <laughs> um it is going to be interesting to see how hikaleo interacts with uh the hantai crew and i think it's no um mistake that they've got him teamed up with tanahashi they did the same thing with god when they first turned babyface and teamed him up with uh de facto hontai leader tanahashi to sort of give the nod and seal of approval so i'm gonna go with the babyfaces going over here and most likely in my opinion hikaleo giving the giant choke slam to like dick togo probably or Yujiro.
1: yeah i agree with you especially we're gonna talk about uh, uh some other match announcements later It seems like there are big plans in line for Hikaleo. So, yeah, I definitely see him getting a big win to build some momentum leading into what he has going on.
0: I didn't even take that into consideration, but once you mention that, that solidifies it in my mind.
1: Yeah. So after that, we have Bishamon, Hiroki Goto, and Yoshihashi taking on the United Empire team of Great Okan and Jeff Cobb. Okan and Cobb coming off a victory over Fale and Chase. At the conclusion of Burning Spirit in Kobe. And now they're facing off against another former tag team champs in Bishamon.
0: Yeah, so like in the early 2000s, uh, there was a light heavyweight fighter by the name of, uh, what was his name here? Zolt Urde. And Zolt Urde was the quote unquote lineal light heavyweight champion. like if you follow the the lineal history of the light heavyweight title basically what happened is the right guy had beat someone at, at a certain time and then taken the title to europe and just stopped defending against like credible challengers and eventually like from 04 to 09 zolt urday was the champion and he only defended against no namers in his own country but everyone had to kind of acknowledge he's the real champion and at the same time roy jones jr has unified the division and is fighting all the best fighters at light heavyweight and destroying them. And is clearly like in the mind and eyes of real fans, he's the real champion because what's more important being the best guy who beats the best and who is active or the guy who just happens to get by a technicality. It's not a perfect comparison, but that's kind of what we're seeing right now in New Japan Pro Wrestling as it pertains to the IWGP Tag Team titles. You got FTR who are the champions. Yeah, they won it. They defended it once in what is most likely an incredible match by all accounts, but we haven't seen it. And prior to that, they haven't defended the titles. And more importantly, they haven't been to Japan. And all along at the same time, you got Bishamon and you got United Empire who are active and having matches and rising up in the ranks and the IWGP committee definitely takes notice of this. <laughs> oh yeah. And, and we talked about recently how like the United Empire are probably like number 1 ranked contenders. Well, Bishamon are probably number 2 right now and we're getting like the playoff between the top 2 uh teams and for my money, whoever wins this, they're the real IWGP tag team <laughs> champions from this day forward. FTR, they're just some guys that like are complaining after their matches about how they're not getting booked on tv you know for for as much as you love bret hart that's not something i could imagine bret hart doing or complaining on twitter about how people are going to underrate their match i i can't imagine brody or hansen or the legion of doom doing the same thing as that but whatever have at it you <laughs> know i'm sure the brainbusters were real concerned about dave Melcher's star ratings or or the opinions of fans and definitely would be tweeting that shit but
1: um yeah man i mean cosplay champions
0: yeah cosplay champions you know mark belt marks at this point um and i don't care you guys might like them and i think they're you know what's funny i think they're great wrestlers but i think they're marks (laughs) (laughs) and i think they're also the moles that have been facilitating a lot of the shit that's going on in aw so like i don't know i kind of don't want them to come to new japan at this point like with everything that's going on over there i'm like just stay over there dude like we don't you know we don't need you guys, but uh, this is for the real title, in my opinion. Bishamon versus United Empire, this is going to determine the top team in New Japan, and whoever wins this match is going to probably go into tag league as like the de facto guys, and then FTR is going to show up and lay down for one of these teams in January,
1: <laughs> yeah. Um so, yeah, I, I think um, Cobb and Great Ocon are probably going to get the wins here, keep them going strong, kind of make them, like you're saying, these uncrowned tag champs. You know, they still, they I mean, they haven't been pinned. They, they lost the titles in three-way situations both times. Um, so, in a way, they're kinda, they kind of are the, the uncrowned champions, and this match will solidify it, I think, and they will go into World Tag League strong, maybe even win Tag League, and then you go to the Dome with FTR versus Cobb and Ocon
0: they're my pick for world tag league right now. And they are one of the strongest tag teams new Japan's had in years. I wouldn't be surprised if the, if the finals this year are dangerous techers against United empire. And I think that's what we're leading to. And I think these are the guys right now. And I mean, considering how accomplished both of them are in the singles ranks, they're kind of like a all-star tag team sort of. uh, And so are, you know, dangerous techers to some degree as well. So yeah. Uh, I'm looking forward to this though too because Bishamon, they are no slouches—they're an incredible tag team, and this match should be really good. I, I think people, you know, are, are maybe sleeping on it a little bit, but uh, you know, look out. This is probably going to be one of the better matches of the night.
1: Yeah. So following that, we'll have the L.I.J. team of Bushi, Hiromu, Sonata, and Naito taking on the United Empire team of Aaron, Hanare, Francisco, Akira, TJP, and Will. Osprey, um, and this is following up on the, the angle that happened at Burning Spirit in Kobe, and um, you know, spoiler alert, um, I'm sorry if you don't want to be spoiled from uh, Royal Quest, but the news keeps going, and we've we got to talk about it. Um, we'll the world um, of
0: New Japan Pro Wrestling never stops. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, so if you don't want spoilers, you try and skip ahead, uh, but in At Royal Quest, um, Tetsuya Naito did defeat Zack Sabre Jr. in the main event of night two to earn a IWGP U.S. title match. So this match will we'll be focusing on uh, previewing Osprey and Naito. And also you got Bushi and Hiromu there with the current IWGP junior tag champs in Akira and TJP. So potentially setting up a, a junior tag team title match or maybe just hyping up the junior tag league.
0: Yeah. One last thing I want one last comparison I want to throw out there for Bishamon and uh, United Empire. Bish or I'm sorry, uh FTR and United Empire. FTR Michael Spinks. United Empire Mike Tyson, okay? <laughs> that there's not very many people are going to laugh at that, but it's <laughs> relevant. <laughs> um yeah as far as this match goes yeah i totally agree with you uh we're on the horizon for a showdown between naito and uh osprey for the u.s title and they had an incredible match during uh g1 in the semi-final so that's that's a match i'm really looking forward to seeing once again it's going to be awesome and then yeah uh we we had hypothesized just recently uh just the other week like what's going to happen if Uh, TJP and uh, Akira retain, and we're like, well, maybe Hiromu and Bushi, and I think we're right on the money because that seems to be the case. Uh, Maybe they don't have a match between now and uh, Super Junior Tag League, but there is the historic crossover show, and there's still the Autumn, uh, whatever they're calling it. What is it? Uh, Battle
1: Battle Autumn. Battle
0: Autumn show. So I feel like there's at least two big shows still remaining. And who knows, maybe they can even do that match in America. There's a couple big, you know, uh, America shows too. So uh, I wouldn't be surprised if they do this match just prior to Super Tag
1: League. Yeah, uh, I'd also love to see them do like some singles to preview. Like do Akira versus Hiromu, do do Bushi versus TJP. I know we saw that, some of that in the Super Juniors, but I think it'd be fun to kind of run some of those They're definitely going to do that
0: on on a cork and haul. That's like their MO. Yeah. Um, As far as like, who i is going to win here? That's a tough one. Um I mean I I hate to say this, but Bushy's probably going to lose, right?
1: Yeah, I mean he, <laughs> he he's the clear eater out of all the people here, so I could see Bushi getting hit with um you know Hanare's um what's he call it? The the, the rampage or streets of rage.
0: There's also Aaron Hanare and I could see Sonata, you know, putting him in a TKO or uh you know moonsault picking up the wind
1: that's true but i still feel like bushi's a little bit lower on the the tone pole than hanara at this point
0: yeah this one i'm I'm gonna i'm gonna abstain from predicting because i don't think it really matters (laughs) it's more about uh
1: you know pushing
0: the the narratives of the several different feuds that are going on
1: yeah and you're going
0: to unite empire
1: yeah so after that, we have a non-title match with the IWGP Junior Champion, Taiji Ishimori, the Bone Soldier, taking on Kushida.
0: Yeah, so I mean, uh, Kushida's been out uh, due to health issues for the past few shows. Uh, and now we're getting the singles match between these two guys, but it's non-title. And feels like at this point, they're probably... Pushing this match
1: all the way to January fourth in the
0: Tokyo Dome,
1: yeah. but uh, or or maybe are uh, the Battle Autumn Show uh, in Osaka? That's possible too.
0: Um, but you know, in the in the recent couple of years, they've been building the title match for January fourth off of the uh, best of Super Juniors in the latter part of the year. Now that we've reverted back to May. Um, it's kind of precarious as to how they're going to get to that January 4th title shot. And so I just have this weird feeling that they might be pushing this this match off until January 4th and maybe putting it on the back burner for the Super Junior Tag League. But um, in either case, it's a non-title match. And my feeling is Kushida needs to win because the story is that he's not deserving of a title shot and how how can he get a title shot if he loses you know what i mean that would be a pretty big setback so yeah i think I, he needs the win and that's probably where they're going
1: yeah if he loses i, I don't know what you do with kashida where, where do you go from there if he he loses this match like i feel like he's already kind of had a lackluster return just because it happened right before g1 and then he was you know pretty much off TV off of tours um he was on strong a little bit but he wasn't really highlighted and then He's back, but then he's been sick, and there just hasn't been a, a ton of focus on him. So I really feel like he, he needs to win this match, and, and they need to run this title match. And did you
0: have a theory about um, about them doing uh, Leo Rush soon?
1: Yeah. So after um, Ishimori defeated uh, Allen Angels last week on Strong post match, he cut a promo and essentially called <coughs> out Leo Rush. Um, we'll talk about in the news leo rush is now officially cleared um so it seems like uh, i don't know why he would cut that promo especially on strong which seems to be a little bit more controlled environment why he would cut that if they weren't planning on doing something like that
0: maybe he beats kushida puts him to the back of the line and they bring out leo rush and kushida kind of has to reinvent himself or do something i don't know is that a possibility
1: yeah, that's a possibility or I mean you you could have Kushida win but then Rush comes out still and then you you could do a multi man. Three-way? Yeah. You, you know at the Dome they like they like doing multi-man. They like to do those. Your Tiles match so you could set up a, some kind of three-way or four-way match at the Dome.
0: I got to tell you right now, I'm not high on Ishimori versus Kushida whatsoever and the and I'm also not that high on Leo Rush in New Japan in general. But if I had to have a match between those guys, a three-way and I'm not usually a big advocate of three ways, but a three way in that situation is probably the most appealing situation I can think of.
1: Yeah. Um, so yeah, we're both going. Kushida here.
0: Yeah, I think it needs to be.
1: Yeah. So after that, we'll have the provisional KOPW championship match. The, the who's your daddy match with the champion, the dragon Shingo Takagi. Defending against the head El l phantasmo hey, pretty cool uh thing they're third from the top. I can't remember too many
0: uh you know k o p w matches that have been highlighted this high, so that's cool, plus it's just a standard match with high stakes at the end of it, sort of like a kiss my foot match or something like that or kiss my ass match from the attitude era, yeah, but in this case it's uh. Who's your daddy? So the the loser has to declare the other person their daddy. Um, It's got to be Shingo. He's a former world champion. I cannot imagine a former world champion telling, (laughs) you know, a heel ELP that he's his daddy. Like, that that would suck. (laughs) Uh, But from a quasi-comedic character who's also coming up from the junior ranks in ELP, I could totally see him taking the loss. And, you know, making that proclamation and then being kind of Teflon and being fine coming out of it one way or the other it doesn't really damage him one way or the other because he doesn't take himself that seriously. And the match itself should be pretty great. So I'm going with Shingo.
1: Yeah, going with Shingo also. I mean, they spent the whole Burning Spirit tour pushing ELP and having him beat Shingo left and right. Shingo only got some comeuppance at the very end of the tour. It's pretty much been all ELP. So, yeah, I'm going to go with Shingo, getting the win here, making ELP say that Shingo's his daddy, and then maybe we can move on on upward for Shingo or something else. Then uh, following that semi-main event of the evening, the Rainmaker, Kazuchika Okada, will take on the top dog, Jonah. Yeah,
0: so obviously this is the rematch from the... Infamous and famous match that they had in the G1 where Jonah was able to defeat Okada in one of the most thrilling and shocking upsets in modern times in New Japan and Jonah has kind of owned Okada all throughout the tour and It really and obviously Okada is the G1 winner. He's going to be challenging for the title on January 4th and Regardless of the fact that there's not a January 4th title opportunity on the line, there's no briefcase, you know, being defended. Okada needs to get the win back regardless, because, you know, how, how good is that going to look for a guy that's been defeated two times back to back by a monster like Jonah. And then he goes in and gets a title shot against Jay White or Tamatonga or whoever's the champion by that point. So, um, my feeling is they've been building up Jonah as a monster so Okada can slay him. And the future of Jonah and this company following this is very much in question. So even if hypothetically he did leave, which he may or may not, we don't know, Okada's got to get that win back. Like if I'm the Booker, I am not letting Jonah, like let's just think about worst case scenario, he beats Okada back to back and then jumps to you know paul Levesque like hell no (laughs) like so okada's got to get the win here and the the first match was really great i do question whether they can match that same sort of uh match quality it may or may not be doable but it should be exciting either way and um okada's got a pretty you know insurmountable monster in front of him he needs to slay
1: yeah, kind of a, an Noki esque kind of match here with uh, the, the top star taking taking on a, a foreign monster. Um, so, yeah, I totally agree with you. I think Okada definitely needs to get the win here, um, especially since there's only, you know, one Tokyo Dome. There's no need to set up a, another tile challenger right now. So, I think, yeah, Noki gets the—or, the, excuse me, um, Okada gets the, the big win here. And uh, Beach Jonah gets the win back in in a great match. And who knows, maybe we'll see somebody else come out to try and, quote-unquote, challenge Okada. And that will lead to Okada's opponent for uh, Battle Autumn in November. So following that, we will have the main event of the evening for the IWGP World Heavyweight title. The champion, Switchblade Jay White, defending the title against the good, bad guy Tama Tonga.
0: Here's the thing. Um, I, I'm a big fan of Tama Tonga. I'm a fan of this story that's been progressing all year long and kind of crescendoing here. But I just really have, I don't have a struggle potentially seeing Tama Tonga as a future champion. Although I don't think it's In my opinion, the most likely thing that could happen, but it's not impossible. And given the right timing and seasoning, it might even be impactful and important if it were to happen. I just don't think the timing is now, especially with uh, it being October, and January Fourth is a few months away. And I don't feel like they've done enough. I feel like they've done a great job with Tama, and I think Tama's done a great job. And uh, I'm I'm a big fan of this whole storyline, but. They haven't done enough to get him to that level to where he could headline a Tokyo Dome. And for that reason alone, there's no way I could see Jay White dropping the title to him. That being said, it would be really shocking and maybe even pretty exciting if they did decide to. I mean, here's a scenario. What if they kind of treat Tamatanga like a very short-term transitional champion. What if he wins the belt and then loses it back to Jay White in in autumn, in November, or to someone else in November? That is not outside of the realm of possibility. But um, putting that aside, I think the most likely scenario here, we see a situation where uh, Jay White picks up the win and kind of goes on to his potential date with Okada.
1: Yeah, I mean, there is, I think, money in another Tokyo Dome-Jay White-Okada match. Okada still needs to get his win back from the last time they wrestled in the Tokyo Dome, where Jay White pretty much embarrassed Okada, beating him in quick fashion. Plus, Jay White also beat Okada this year at Dominion, so Okada definitely owes a Jay White one, and so I think that's a match they're going to build for the Tokyo Dome this um, coming Dome season. So, yeah, I, th- I think it's, um, you know, just the wrong time and place for Tama Had this been some part, some different time of the year, maybe, you know, post-Wrestle Kingdom or, you know, pre-Dominion, maybe you could have done a, a Tama Tonga title run, but I don't think right now is the right timing. I think there are ways you can make him look strong um, in defeat, which I think they'll probably go with here, and then you can... I would say give Tama a hot singles match at the Dome and and get him ready for post-Dome season for something big. Yeah, I'm totally in agreement. Uh, We had a question here. Yeah, from the Dark Soldier. says, do you feel Tama Tonga has had the best angles of the year? Not only have they been entertaining and gotten a big crowd reaction, but they even have an emotional core to them, something I always appreciate in my wrestling.
0: I, I would say for the most part yeah I agree with that uh, as far as New Japan goes I can't think of uh, too many other individuals that have had meaningful moments that stand out other than Tamatonga in, in that regard maybe Tom Lawler or Fred Rosser in North America but I don't know if that matters as much uh, that's about it
1: yeah I think yeah definitely Tamatonga. you know when we look at our angle of the year category I mean when I think about angles, I mean, all the ones that are coming up are so far are, just, yeah, stuff are revolving around Tonga and this whole Bullet Club storyline. And they just had the angle last weekend with Hikaleo, you know, siding with him, which was a hot angle. And so, yeah, he's been a part of a lot of the hot angles this year. And they've done a great job using these angles to elevate him to the fact that he's now main eventing Sumo Hall against another foreigner for a title. It's a pretty big deal.
0: So um, that is going to do it for our review. Um, some news that came out earlier today, a pair of title matches have been made official for NJPW Battle Autumn in Osaka. So they've announced that the United States title will be defended between Naito and Osaka Saturday, November 5th. And also uh, they've set a never weight title defense between Carl Anderson defending his title against Hikaleo. So that is also... Upcoming. Uh, let's move on real briefly to uh, NJPW Strong Fighting Spirit Unleashed Night 4. This past week, we had three matches as Kevin Knight and the DKC. They defeated Stray Dog Army, Barrett Brown, and uh, Bateman, eight minutes and 16 seconds. Second match of the night, Aaron Solo defeated Shea Cabrera, eight minutes and 31 seconds. And then the main event was the strong openweight title as Fred Rosser, the champion, he defended and defeated tjp 17 minutes 20 seconds post match he was attacked by chris dickinson and this did air this week on uh you know strong which a lot of people weren't expecting when they attended the show and weren't sure if it was going to air one way or the other
1: yeah um uh, and we kind of covered our, our feelings on that angle um uh, but overall i thought it was a really fun episode of strong uh, the Opening match, Kevin Knight and the DKC, we saw them pick up a, a big win on the last set of tapings. And, you know, for Young Lions, you know, they're just they're starting to pick up wins here. They, they beat an established, strong team in Bear Brown and Bateman. And i see tag team wins mean more now that we have um, strong weight tag team champions. So it seems like Kevin Knight and DKC might build up enough wins to maybe get a towel shot towards the end of the year. Um,
0: very possibly like the way that they're building him up. Seems like that might be the case.
1: Yeah. Uh, then Aaron solo and, uh, Che Cabrera, um, you know, fun eight minute match, a lot of heat behind, uh, Aaron solo and QT Marshall and in a factory and Aaron Solo did, uh, cheat hold the ropes, uh, behind the ref's back on, on the pinfall over, uh, Che Cabrera. Um, so gets a win there. And then the, the main event, Rosser and TJP, I thought this was a great, strong title match. Uh, I think Rosser really needed an offense like this. You know, we talk about TJP all the time and how smooth he is and how uh, good of a wrestler he is, but I feel like he really turned it up in this match with Rosser. And to me, he was wrestling like he was going to win the title. Like, he yeah, <laughs> he was wrestling really hard, um, uh, just the holes and counters, they were doing, and I feel like in a little bit, he was kind of schooling Rosser on on, on the wrestling, and also that was kind of part of the story as, as well. He was kind of using his speed to, to out-wrestle Rosser, using his, his experience to kind of use some holes to kind of keep Rosser down, and Rosser had to fight back and show some fighting spirit and use his power and striking ability to, to get over on TJP and eventually getting him in that uh, STF-chicken-wing combo to tap out tjp
0: this was clearly the best match that fred rossers had in his title defense run so far uh as fun and interesting as the uh uh freddie a match was this kind of you know surpassed that and it's the best match he's had since the inaug- inaugural win against um tom Lawler. so uh, I thought this did a lot of favors for him, but it also—I mean, TJP—this is probably the best he's looked in New Japan in general since his return a couple years ago.
1: Yeah, I think he's on fire right now with the stuff he's doing on Strong. Plus, him and Akira as a team—I think he's having a really good run right now.
0: I yeah, I think that this is the best he's looked since the Cruiserweight Classic.
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, like you mentioned, they have the angle after the match. Dickinson attacks him from the crowd, goes in the ring, beats him up, holds the strong title, and as we already talked about on the, on the next tour, it is going to be um, roster defending against Dickinson. So it seems like New Japan, they're, they're going full steam ahead with um, airing this angle and airing the, the roster-Dickinson match next month.
0: Well, that is going to do it for NJPW Strong Uh, next week. Coming up on Saturday, October 8th, we have Strong Autumn Action Night 1. QT Marshall will be going one-on-one with Shota Umino, a match they've been building to for a while. Uh, The aforementioned Juice Robinson versus Renderita singles match. And then the main event is going to be Homicide teaming up with Wheeler Utah. Take on IWGP World Heavyweight title holder, Jay White, and never-openweight title holder, Carl Anderson of the Bullet Club. Yeah, this Uh, seems
1: like a pretty uh, big episode of Strong Hair. Like you mentioned, the QT, Marshall, and Umino Angle, they've been building to that. Um, Narita, like I mentioned earlier, did cut a promo on Juice, and uh, I'm trying to remember the line he said. He said, uh, I was going to like, I think he said, I'm going to take you rock hard and make you soft. I forgot the the exact translation, but he he got a pretty good line. On, uh, on juice. So that's a pretty big match. Um, and then, yeah, big main event here, homicide teaming up with uh, Utah, take on Jay white and machine gun. I mean, as of
0: right now, since we haven't seen anything from uh, the uh, Royal quest tour, Fred Rosser versus TJP is the match of the month for October.
1: Yeah. Cause who, who knows when, <laughs> when that will air. I mean, if they don't, if it doesn't air in October, we're not rating it. It, it could go to Rosser and TJP. <laughs> Uh, let's
0: jump into the news so uh mox john moxley versus juice robinson was this past week uh this past wednesday on um aw dynamite juice robinson says that he is now a free agent and no longer representing new japan pro wrestling so who knows what that means this is a guy that's worked us in the past fooled me once shame on you fooled me twice can't get fooled again so we don't know what that means, whether he's truly under contract, whether he's truly aligned with new Japan and the Bullet club or not. It's very murky.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's weird. Cause on dynamite, he did come out as, you know, rock hard. Juice Robinson from the bullet club, um, new Japan social did promote the match and said that juice was representing new Japan and tweeted it out and was, you know, saying, you know, Juice is you know, from new Japan facing off against John Moxley. So, um,
0: at the same time we've mentioned many times on the air how precarious his booking during the g1 truly was considering the big push they gave him in chicago so or during capital collision so hard to say
1: yeah his wording is very weird because previously in, in the worked interview he did on wrestling observer live he said that he was no longer representing new japan which meant that which led to the angle of him representing bullet club. But in this interview, he was very clear to say that he's a free agent uh, and, and not mentioning bullet club.
0: Also the fact that his wife slash fiance slash girlfriend, no one's really sure, but they're in a very public relationship, him and Tony storm. Uh, she works in AEW, and he is a stateside wrestler. At one point, I believe he did move to Japan, but didn't, you know, then the pandemic happened. It, that didn't seem to pan out. So, uh, who knows maybe he does want to go work for aw the other thing too is like he doesn't have to be in new japan to be bull club we've seen this in the past i mean just look at chris bay and uh you know uh the gambit what's his name
1: oh um Ace Austin, Ace Austin yeah
0: you know and there have been famous members of the bull club who didn't primarily work in japan so there's a partnership new japan and uh aw who knows maybe that maybe he is going to aw it's hard to say
1: yeah in
0: uh, other news, Jonah was out this weekend as NJPW World Quest 2 events uh, occurred in London. They announced Saturday morning that Jonah was out due to travel issues stemming from Hurricane Ian. He was originally set to be featured in a tag match on day one and then uh, faced Tomohiro Ishii in a singles match on day two. Uh, new new matches were announced as a result of his absence. And um, the match that was originally set where he was supposed to team with bad Tito against okada and ishii they had zach knight take jonah's place and on the second night ishii faced a mystery opponent in singles action i do know we know who the mystery opponent is we're not going to spoil it but it's uh it's one that you're not going to be disappointed by so pretty cool stuff there uh new japan has also announced how the joint tag league tour will be distributed based on this it's going to be most likely 10 teams in each league so like a probably a single block or It's probably going to be a single block just based on the math. But uh, it looks like there are uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven cheering shows that are set up as of now. Uh, For most nights, it's going to be junior league only. And then some nights it's going to be heavy league and then juniors in the opener. Other times it's going to be junior league and then heavies in the opener. And then some nights it's going to be both leagues. So it's kind of all over the place, but it's going to run from November 21st to uh december 14th that we're getting how many shows here it looks like one two three four five six 18 shows about yeah um but the finals on december 14th we're gonna have the finals for both leagues occurring on that evening and um based on the math it looks like december 10th the junior league will wrap up with heavies in the opener and then on december 11th the next day it's all heavy league matches so that's where they'll wrap up the block play so december 10th they're going to wrap up the juniors december 11th they're going to wrap up the heavyweights and then on december 14th that's going to be the finals for both leagues on that evening
1: yeah, so very interesting schedule here. Like, like we said, it looks like it's going to be 10 teams in each league, which, yeah, probably means a single block for each tournament, which, not a huge fan of single blocks, but with 10 teams in the junior side, it, it makes me think, like, all right, who are they bringing in to fill those slots? Because obviously, you got United Empire with Akira and TJP, Bushi Hiromu, Despi Kanamaru. But then besides that, you know, maybe, maybe Flying Tiger, I feel like they have to bring in other people
0: and uh my correction there's gonna be 17 shows over the course of the month so um other news karen peterson she has you, you guys know karen she's on the show all the time good friend of ours uh she wrote a historic crossover x column njpw and stardom's crossed paths as we approach the historic crossover show on november 20th in ariaki coliseum karen peterson is providing a fortnightly introduction to the world of stardom and its factions its history in this debut column it is a look at history of crossovers before the ariaki pay-per-view was announced and that was on njpw1972.com and their social media you can find that on twitter and uh, i very proud of her and uh you know glad to see she's getting the uh utilization and recognition that she's deserving yeah um, FTR was announced that they will be wrestling on the return of the dragon show on November 27th, which is the return of Ricky, the dragon steamboat to wrestling. Uh, he'll be tagging with FTR against, uh, Jane lethal, uh, are son and a mystery opponent. I'm guessing it's Ric Flair, but, uh, that <laughs> means they're going to be out of world tag league at that point. So for anyone that was expecting them to come over and mix it up with the best of the best, you know, whoever that may be, it's not happening. So they're out. Um, Leo Rush was also, uh, recently set to return to the ring for the first time in nine months. He posted, uh, that in all capital letters, he was cleared on Twitter on Thursday and was later announced as the fifth entrant into the Red British, uh, Rev Pro British J-Cup in 2022. Um, also recently announced was Tom Lawler's fight against Minor Suzuki in a Defy ring at Defy Kingdom Comes Saturday, October 29th. Uh, Red Pro, Sunday, October 23rd, Minoru Suzuki will be wrestling Yota Suji, And Carl Fredericks was recently spotted at the WWE Performance Center. Uh, Last bit of news, we posted this on our Twitter, but it's available also on YouTube. There was a recent uh, 50th anniversary show for All Japan Pro Wrestling, which had some New Japan representation. And on the show, they had a Lions and Dads six-man tag team match uh where nagata teamed up with uh or maybe it was an eight-man tag team match but nagata teamed up with uh the three young lions from new japan for wrestling in the opener and they took on um two of the young lions from uh all japan for wrestling along with nomora and um uh kento Miyahara. actually this might not even be the opener i don't know where it was in the card but um uh, this match is getting rave reviews and It is available, like I mentioned, on, we tweeted it out. It's on the All Japan official uh, Twitter, as well as their YouTube account. And if you haven't seen that match, definitely check it out. One of the prospects, I don't have his name, but he was an individual that uh, New Japan was gunning to sign to the dojo. And uh, he recently, he has a lot of hype behind him. He recently worked with Minoru Suzuki. And then Nagata was uh, one of the individuals negotiating, trying to get him into the LA dojo. And it didn't work out. And um, people are, you know, pretty much like clamoring for him to be a big star in all Japan and raving about his performance here. So if you haven't seen that match, it's well worth your time to go and check out. And I know I will be checking
1: out this week. Nice. Uh, We just had some matches for the next strong tour dropped on the Twitter. Some uh, interesting matches here. So Gabriel Kidd, making his strong return, will take on the ace, Hiroshi Tanahashi. Menor Suzuki will take on Fred Ayahi. Fallen Angel Christopher Daniels will take on our good friend Rocky Romero. And Keita will take on Peter Avalon. Also, Filthy Tom Lawler will take on Homicide. Rock Hard Juice Robinson will take on Jake something. Blake Christian and Mascarada will take on Chris Bay and ELP. And Kenny King, making his strong debut, will take on Che Cabrera.
0: All right, nice. Well, let's um, let's kick to the questions, but I say we give them super concise, quick answers
1: so that we could just get out of here. <laughs> All right. So Hawaiian Punch BB says, if Gals and Yano wrestle in a singles match again, should it be canceled midway through the match in honor of Anoki? Yes. Yes. With <laughs> uh, well, it looking like FTR is unlikely to compete in World Tag League, was there really a good reason to crown them champs? No. Uh, just for, for partnership's sake and to make the partner happy, I guess. Um, some forbidden door talk. On a scale of 1 to 10, how likely are the GHC tag champions, Takashi Segura and Satoshi Kojima, going to compete in World Tag League?
0: That's an interesting thought, and if they do that, I would love it, but I think it's highly unlikely. I'll go
1: 2. Yeah, I I would go 2 as well. I, I don't think that's going to happen. More than likely, it'll probably be Kojima and Tenzan.
0: I'm a little nervous about all these dads working outside dates so much. I feel like they might be leaving.
1: Yeah. Uh, his last question Have you checked out AJPW's 50th anniversary show? There are matches in it with NJPW's old wrestlers. Eugene Nagata wrestled AJ, AJPW's hyped young boy Yuma Anazai in his debut. Anazai got Nagata and Suzuki in his first two matches and a fun eight man tag match with Nagata and a Young Lions in his third. He's also competing in AJPW's Real World Tag League with Nagata. Will there ever be a young line that will receive this type of hype or push right off the bat after the match with Nagata? Nagata had a a look that screamed, "I found the next ace." And how do we steal him? Do you, <laughs> do you think it's dangerous for all Japan to be sticking him with Nagata?
0: I don't know. I don't know the inner workings of uh, politics, so it's hard to say. But yeah, uh, this was the uh, Yuma Anzai was the one I was trying to uh, recall his name. So. I haven't seen it. I'll check it out. And I'm looking forward to that. And I think uh, them teaming in the real world tag leagues can be very interesting.
1: Yeah, I haven't seen anything from the 50th anniversary for all Japan yet, but I've been hearing uh, good things, especially about uh, Yuma. Um, so looking forward to checking that out. And yeah, again, I mean, it's possible that Nagata could be trying again, poach him to new Japan, but it could be possible that Nagata's maybe thinking I can go work all Japan be on top over there and then also kind of groom um, yuma as well so who knows? well nagato was trying to
0: get him into the la do- or into the uh no gay dojo pretty pretty hard yeah initially
1: uh next less commission 7252 would you guys say that iwgp world heavyweight championship match is a match to see who can overuse their furniture the most
0: no because both of the their finishers are super protected and would finish the match. So it's going to be the match to see who can attempt to use their finisher more times than
1: the other. Right. You'll you'll see lots of counters of finishers, but I think very rarely do you see finishers totally spammed um, in title matches like that. Also asked who was the best counter to a finisher.
0: Jay White. Absolutely. Jay White has the best counter to finish. I mean,
1: in new Japan,
0: unless you're counting like Randy Orton, but, uh, yeah, probably
1: Jay White with the sling blade, yeah. switch blade, whatever it's
0: called. Yeah, the blade runner. Blade yeah.
1: runner. Yeah, he's he's shown in the last few years how easy it is to kind of reverse anybody's finisher into that. And he always says it's so slick. So, yeah, definitely Switchblade. Um, His last question, he says, John Moxley was set to take a vacation after All Out. but Due to the media scrum incident with CM Punk in the Elite, his vacation was dialed back. If he loses the AW World Heavyweight Championship to either Hangman, Adam Page, or MJF. Do you think Tony Khan will grant him his vacation for the remainder of the year, and as a reward for carrying AW this year, he will give him a chance to compete at Russell Kingdom Seventeen?
0: I mean, I don't really know the answer to that. So, I, and I I hate to speculate on it. I mean, I kind of thought we might see Moxley at Russell Kingdom either way, but with it being a Wednesday, it, it seems unlikely at this point.
1: Yeah, I mean Mox I think is crazy enough to try to make both shows. Um to travel, do Russell Kingdom and then, you know, travel back in time with the flight to, to make it to um I think they're in Seattle, uh for Dynamite and and make it back to be a part of that show. Um, so moving on to the Dark Soldier says Do you feel Tamatonga has had the best angles of the year? Actually, do we you already answer that? Where's we'll that one? Uh, his next question says: By the time most people hear this episode, it will be Wednesday, aka National or aka yeah, National Scissoring Day. Happy National Scissoring Day, guys! Because everybody loves the acclaim. Scissor me, Daddy Donovan and boy, young boy. Um, cool, great question. <laughs> <laughs> um, he also says: Two weeks ago, you guys talked about. Who would team with Tanahashi in this year's World Tag League? I thought about Yano because they teamed up last time. And with Yano helping Tanahashi in this never title match, it seems to be going in that direction. What do you think? I actually like Tanahashi and Yano as a tag team. Wouldn't mind even them being champions. What say you?
0: Yeah, uh, that makes sense. I thought they were a fun tag team. I like their gimmick. I forget what... uh. What manga they were paying tribute to, but I, I like the shirt they released last year. I like the slick back pompadour hair and the matching jackets. Pretty fun.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think Tanahashi and Yano be a, a fine addition, uh, find, you know, bring back for tagler this year. Um, not really calling for them to be tag champions, but they'll be fun to watch. Um, and it's last question it says, uh, Jeff Cobb during that empire celebration of burning Spirit said to the crowd. And us all to buy United Empire shirts. Should we do as he says? If you want. <laughs> We're not gonna tell you what to do with your money.
0: Except for you can leave us a donation
1: <laughs> and support this
0: show, giving you some of the best content out there on the internet. Absolutely. We that's that's where I would say instead of buying the United Empire shirt, why don't you, you know, drop us a dime and uh you know give us some support. To help us fund this show, every dollar that you put into the show goes back into the show and helps us to uh, keep the lights on. Helps us to, you know, bring on great guests. Helps us to up our production quality and value. And, you know, very soon we're thinking about potentially going, you know, video. And the more money you guys give us, the more likely that is to be done. So, if you want to see our lovely faces and, uh, you know, have us do it right,
1: studio style,
0: drop us a couple dollars. Don't put your money on the United Empire. Put it on KISS.
1: <laughs> yeah, nice pitch there. Even though I do really like those new uh, Empire shirts with the silver writing, with that uh, silver design that they have going.
0: I haven't seen them. I don't know what you're talking about.
1: I mean, they've been <laughs> they've been wearing them all tour.
0: <laughs> I don't pay attention to what they wear on the entrance.
1: <laughs> all right, well, that's going to wrap it up for questions. Like we mentioned at the early, top of the show, we are going to punt our... Recommended match of the weekend excursion match. Listen, week. I, I want to
0: change my my match. I gave you the 87 10 man tag elimination match. I wanted to I messed it up. I wanted to do the eighty eight elimination match, which I think is superior. Um I'll send you the details, but the eighty seven one's very good, but I, I was mistaken. It's the eighty eight match, and I'll find the link, I'll send it to you. I just don't want anyone to be like you said eighty seven. He he reviewed the eighty the eighty eight match is is the raw match that's the one i love i'm sending you that
1: match gotcha and then my excursion pick was uh machine guns versus aussie open from impact uh two weeks ago all right that will be that and that's going to wrap things up for us here this week next week i will not be here i will be on my actual honeymoon and uh, James Boyd from One Nation Radio will be coming in on the show to fill in for me, to do the show with Josh, to review Declaration of Power. So if you enjoyed today's show, please get a donation by visiting prostituteflex.com slash donate and click on the donate button under the Keeping It Strong Style logo. Make sure you connect with us on social media. The show is at K-I Strong Style. You can follow the network at social suplex and you can follow me at jeremy l donovan on facebook we are facebook.com slash social suplex on instagram at social suplex on reddit i'm the pro black guy josh is keeping the strong style you can email me jeremy at social suplex.com make sure you check out all the other shows here on the social suplex podcast network one inch radio hosted by Rich Latta and James Floyd. The Grave Consequences hosted by Caleb and Maserati. All Things Elite hosted by Floyd Johnson Jr. and Austin with The AEW Match Guide Podcast hosted by Sir Sam. And The Great Match Generator hosted by Danny Kukler. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a rating and review. And we'll catch you next week on Keeping It Strong Style. The Ace of podcast
0: ichi ni san da. long live thank you for listening to keeping it strong style we'll see you next time